stumps to behind the mic. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Daniel McCarty once more sitting on Smithy's throne. Well, figuratively, I'm not sitting in his house. That would be a bit weird, right? Welcome into another week of sport. My name is Daniel McCarty in the chair for Smithy through till midday. Coming up on the show, we hope plenty of you on 0800-150-811. We will open the lines and talk this beautiful thing called sport later in the hour. Double eight double three is how you send your text messages to on the Temper of Beer poster text machine. Grant Elliott, just a few minutes away, uh, as we now can ponder the confirmed semi-final lineups. We thought though this was going to be the way over the weekend. We just had to get the last couple of games out of the way, so it's now set in stone. Uh, that New Zealand will take on India and South Africa will play Australia. Also on the show, things going pretty well for the Wellington Phoenix, both men's and women's. Um, on Friday night, the men didn't have a shot but left Melbourne with a point. Go figure. Um, interesting uh, result, that one. Uh, even better, though, for the uh, Phoenix women yesterday, uh, 3-1 victory over Western United. Um, in the Sky commentary box was Katie Barrett. You would have heard Katie during... Uh, our FIFA Women's World Cup coverage, really, really uh, fine footballing mind, and of course uh, knows that club very well, being the Wellington Phoenix Academy Female Development League. We'll catch up with Katie Barrett after 10 o'clock to talk about them and some of these young players. Uh, Macy Fraser scoring an absolute belter from the free kick. What a goal that was. And as I said a few weeks ago, um, Ellen Partridge, S. she has a foot like a traction engine. Uh, joining us also on the programme after 11 o'clock, we're going to catch up with uh, Binyam Gadane. Uh, NBA Australian Senior Editor to look at um, the NBA season and other basketballing matters on the show. We'll have our regular features along the way, including this Polaris Sports Desk and the Bulletin, which will feature uh, David Long. Looking forward to catching up with Long. You haven't had a chat with him in ages. Uh, that is all still to come. So let's uh, start in earnest almost five minutes after nine. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy's Sermon. How good! SENZ is already the home of international cricket with every Black Caps and White Ferns games coming to the station directly to your ears this summer. And now icing on the cake. And it's a big cake. Huge cake. Massive cake. SENZ and SEN in Australia have confirmed we have secured the rights for both the semi-finals and final for the Cricket World Cup in India. Simply superb. And what a lineup of semi-finals we do have. South Africa will play Australia on Thursday night with our coverage starting at 9.30pm. South Africa armed with the highest octane batting the Proteas may have ever had at a Cricket World Cup. Led by the dynamic Quinton de Kock who has scored 400s by himself. But South Africa have a massive issue. A massive inability to get beyond the semi-finals of Cricket World Cups. They are 0 from 4 in World Cup semi-finals. The Proteas will be under so much pressure. Can they handle it? Lots of question marks. And they're up against a side who don't buckle on the big stage. Love them or loathe them. And there are lots listening who are disciples of the loathing. Uh, You have to admit, Australia have a fabulous record. The five times world champions have made it to eight semi-finals and have lost just once. Just let that sink in. History, History says canary yellow. The bookies say canary yellow. I give South Africa a very good chance of breaking the glass ceiling. And of course, the other semi-final is our own Black Caps up against the hosts in India. What a mountain for the Black Caps to overcome on Wednesday night. Our coverage starts at 9.30. This Indian side is on fire. In Fuego, 
the first team ever to go nine from nine in this round robin format. They wrapped up that record with another troublingly dominant win. Troubling if you are playing them in a semi-final, that is. India poured on the run, scoring more than 400 against the Dutch to win by a paltry 160 runs. Their top six is so impressive, with generational talent littered across that batting lineup, while their bowlers have been simply sensational. In the nine group games India have played, they have bowled out the opposition seven times, and in the other two games picked up eight wickets apiece. Over the course of this tournament, they have conceded 450 fewer runs than the next best bowling attack. That is scary in a nine-match round-robin tournament. You do the math. They're also smart in the field. And when you combine all of these together, they are the warmest of favourites. They are raging hot favourites, right? And it leads me to thinking this. If the New Zealand side, the Black Caps, can get up and spoil the party, it would go down as one of the most impressive one-off victories in the history of Black Caps cricket. No doubt in my mind. And don't dismiss the idea out of hand. New Zealand have a track record of inflicting agony on India. And the weight of 1.4 billion demanding fans will weigh heavily on the home side. And all the pressure. I mean all of it. Every single little bit of it will be on India and not the men in black. There's a different kind of kind of an energy from the New Zealand team today. And that is a comprehensive way to end this game. Glenn Phillips pulls firmly to the square leg boundary in New Zealand. It's a job well done. They've beaten Sri Lanka here, beaten them comfortably in Bengaluru by five wickets, but crucially with lots of time to spare to up that net, net run rate and give themselves the best chance of going through to the semi-finals. Well, let's talk more about this incredible lineup of semi-finals that we will be bringing you right here on SENZ uh, for coverage of uh, both semi-finals and finals to come over the course of the next week or so. Uh, we are joined by former New Zealand international and, uh, of course, uh, the better half of the Saturday session here on SENZ. It is the one, the only Mr Grant Elliott, who must be licking his chops at the thought of these two semi-finals. How delicious are they? Uh, Daniel, it's probably only been about 24 hours since we last spoke to each other, and I'm still actually still not happy with you because of our draft pick that we had. Um, and I'm sure we'll touch on that. But, yeah, even more exciting than our draft pick that we had on Saturday is the semi-finals. I think, you know, you're going to meet India either in the semis or the finals in this tournament, so... Why not meet them in the semis and uh, and knock them out? I know that you you've been really keen on bringing the ghosts of the past from uh, our World Cups against India, and we've had we've had a pretty successful run against India. Uh, it has really been successful, and I look at this um, this game and I go right. All the pressure is on India. We're the underdogs, and I think we like playing as the underdogs. Well, I don't think that is in debate, is it? 
Uh, starting off with this fact, they have been sensational this tournament, India, haven't they? Nine from nine, and really have just cut their way through, cut most oppositions into a million pieces. Yeah, they haven't put a foot wrong, and um, it's been no surprise. But, you know, in a tournament like this, that you there's normally one game that you have a little bit of a shocker in. Uh, but what I will say about this team is that their senior players are standing up. You know, uh, Boomrah, uh, Mohamed Shami, um, Jadeja, Shubman Gill. Um, well, he's, he's a youngster, but he'd be considered, you know, I guess a dynamic sort of Russian Ravindra of their team with a little bit more experience than Russian. And then Virat Kohli and Road Sharma. So all of their senior players are standing up and stepping up and winning games for them. So that's always, um, a, it's a tough team because when, you, when you're playing for a team like India at the moment, you look around the change room and you go, well, if I don't do it today, I know someone else will. So you've got a lot of trust in your players, which means that you're not at the crease thinking, oh, if I don't score runs, there's people behind me that are struggling um, for form. And Shreya Sire just got 100 as well. So, um, you know, they, they've got such a dynamic team. They've got the fans behind them, home game. Like, everything is sort of in their favour here. Yeah, you, you talk about Ayers. Uh, he's the fourth player to get 100 for India at this tournament. So... It's not a case of cutting the head off the snake, i.e. Take, take out Rohit Sharma early, as New Zealand did in the 2019 World Cup semi-final. Uh, there's someone else steps up. Virat Kohli has just been brilliant at this tournament, hasn't he? Seven scores beyond 50, nearly 600 runs, averaging 99. That, that top six is as good as you could possibly imagine. Yeah, I think, you know, it's an amazing top six, but it's not just uh, the ability of these players. It's the fact that they're playing in new conditions. And they know their conditions well. And a lot of the time in India, you can't just come in and, and just start whacking it. You know, the, the surfaces we play on in New Zealand, as you know, we're outstanding in our home conditions. And most countries are. Um, and India is no exception. You go over there, you play in their conditions. They're so hard to beat. They are so, so hard to beat. And I, I'm unsure whether you, you chase or you set. I don't know what the numbers are um, on on setting, but my, my gut feel is you might actually have to go and have a bat first and go big against them to put pressure on them. Because we did that in the pool game. We got 273, which is an average score, but we held them quite nicely. They only won it in the 48th over, and they were six down. And if you can get them six down, Mohamed Shami was coming in at eight then, so... You know, all of a sudden, you're one wicket away. Jadeja came in, he got 39 or 44 and sort of won the game for them. Um, but, you know, you get them seven down, suddenly they've got, a, they've got a big tail, India. But it's how you get through that top six. What I can't understand here, Grant, is why the bowling has been so much better than any other team. And I, and I say, and I frame it this way, international cricketers play in India a lot these days don't they? They know those conditions. So why has that Indian attack been so good? It's bowled out seven of the nine teams they've played. That, that's an incredible record. And the, like, you look at individually, Mohamed Shami, what, uh, some mind-boggling numbers uh, at this tournament as far as with the ball picking up, what, I think 16 wickets at nine, Bumrah 17 at 15, Jadeja 16 at 18. Why have they been so much better, you think? I think it just goes back to what I was saying on our Saturday sesh, which to me, it's consistency. 
You know, you've got Bumrah, Shami and Siraj, who are your three sort of players. Yes, they've played Pandya and Thakka and uh, uh, Kuldeep Yadav, but it's generally Bumrah, Muhammad Shami, Siraj, Jadeja um, that, that are sort of carrying this attack. So, you know, when, when you get that consistency, then you, you understand the blueprint of how you, you win games. And bowlers get into... Um, I guess a rhythm of partnership because this game is played in partnership whether you're batting, whether you're bowling um, it's so important that you've got these partnerships and once you find that partnership or that blueprint that you win games you can train for it so you go in and you know Boomer knows he's going to bowl at certain stages of the game, so does Siraj, so does Shami um, and then they've got the luxury of you know Yadav and Badeja, they have played Ashwin uh, but I don't think he'll play. Um, and, you know, they've got their four or five bowlers that they go in with that, uh, that understand. And before the, before the game is even played, you can visualize the situation you're going to be bowling in. And I think that that really does help. Whereas on the other side of the coin, you look at New Zealand, they've had injuries, they've come in with players who have been injured, like Saudi with uh, his broken thumb. Jamison comes back in. You know, will he play? Um, you know, Michael Bracewell got injured just before the World Cup, so suddenly Glenn Phillips has been taking a few overs here and there. And we haven't quite found our blueprint. We haven't quite found it. And I guess the Pakistan game is probably a, a result of that, where bowlers are coming in and, you know, we're trying to bowl, you know, an opening bowler maybe at first change. Like, where does Lockie Ferguson fit in? Is he going to be that first change bowler or is he going to be, you know, an opening bowler? And I think everyone's tried to sort of, you know, fit into a position that would help New Zealand. And the injury to Matt Henry hasn't helped us either. So, you know, it doesn't mean that all is lost because I think one thing going for us here is the expectations on India. And, you know, you only have to go uh, to that, that, uh, the, the rugby league uh, final with the Panthers where suddenly everyone thought, well, you know, they'd storm away with things and they found themselves behind the eight ball, you know, in 20 minutes. So, you know, the expectations that weigh heavily on teams and complacency, where they've got one hand on the trophy already, that can really play on the minds of players, especially if you put them under pressure. When we look at the Indian side and ponder the idea of New Zealand beating them, what, it would have to be one of the single most impressive one-day international victories ever if they were able to do that, right? That, that is the size of the challenge. Yeah, it's definitely a visit to the beehive, I reckon, um, and a, a nice long lunch for the team. <laughs> because you look at that, you look at that team, and you go, "Wow!" Like you know, Rohit Sharma, Shubman Gill, Virat Kohli, Shreya Iyer, Kale Rahul. Um, you know, how are we going to get past the first five? The way that you beat India is actually putting the skids on them. If you can get Sharma and and Kohli. Um, I think early, then that would really put a dent in the team because those are two senior players. It's almost like getting Conway and Williamson early against New Zealand. And I think if you can break the back of this, um, <clears throat> this batting lineup of India, you have to get in there early with the new ball. So, you know, we, we do have, you know, Trent Bolt. We've got a Lockie Ferguson. Satna, we know, is brilliant through the middle. He's not much of a wicket taker, but he's, you know... 
he's the one that puts the brakes on on one end and you can get wickets from the other end because they might try and take a risk uh, with the bowler from the other end. So if we can get early wickets, I think that we've got a, a, a good chance here. And I mean, I know it sounds obvious, but it's, it's difficult to do. Rohit Sharma, he's susceptible to um, Trent Bolt. He, he doesn't really enjoy left-arm bowlers that swing the ball back. And I know that when they played India last time, he actually went and bowled a bumper first up, and Adam Milne, that was in a series in India, Adam Milne dropped him at, uh, at fine leg. But, you know, that was the, almost the double bluff. He knows that you're going to go full and straight, try swing the ball back, hit the boards. They went short, got an opportunity. So there's an opportunity there against Rohit Sharma and Trent Bolt. That's a good matchup. And you can take that cup and hopefully replay it when we make the final and Rohit Sharma gets up for a duck LBW to Trent Bolt. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Shubman Gill, he doesn't like the ball going away from him uh, on a number of occasions uh, if there is a swing available and then suddenly trying to nip one in through the gates, which is exactly what Chris Wokes did. Uh, you just have to go and watch the spell that Chris Wokes bowled to Shubman Gill. So there you go. We, we've got them naught uh, for two at the moment. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but these these are the conversations that you have as a team prior to the game. You analyze the players. You know that they've got weaknesses. And in their first 20 balls, that's where you try and get them out. And if you don't get them out, then it's about shutting them down and about putting pressure on them where they're not scoring freely. So don't give them... You know, don't put the ball in the, the area where they can play very freely and they can get boundaries. It's about shutting them down. So New Zealand, in terms of the way that they prepare uh, before games, I think is probably, you know, exceeds every other team in the competition. And, you know, we have to hold on to that, our preparation before games, our discipline. Um, and if we can get a little bit of a combination with our bowlers, I think it gives us even more of a chance. But as you heard, uh, alongside me in the Saturday session, I've been doing my very best to, you know, drum up, drum up the Grim Reaper idea, right? That, they they won't be happy. That they won't be happy it's New Zealand, right? They will not be happy that it's the black, the silver fern across, across the aisle. No, they won't. I, I mean, I think the numbers are, did you say that they've only beaten us twice? I thought they'd only beaten us once in a World Cup ever, and I thought that was, that was in this competition. Uh, but you mentioned, uh, was it 1987 or something? I can't remember. Um, well, they so, beat us twice you know, in 1987. They've beaten us four times, but we have a winning record. Overall, five wins, four losses. Half of those okay. wins came for India in the, the 1987 tournament played on their own shores it was a weird it was a weird World Cup the 87 one they were playing in whites for heaven's sake with a red ball yeah, um, it, yeah. it, was, it was very odd but it, it's more recently across the spectrum of ICC events whether it's you were there in 2016 you played when you we New Zealand ruined the opening game of the T20 World Cup um, and that ultimately ended in huge disappointment for India um, and we can't forget Southampton in 2021 and four years ago at a world a cricket World Cup yeah, our record is exceptional against them, and I think that they'll they'll know that. I think that 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 game at Southampton, that was, um, you know, they went in a similar sort of thing. They were favourites. I think that we were probably the fifth best team in the competition. And that's the thing; it doesn't matter. Pool games absolutely doesn't matter. Now it's about one game now, and I think being a player in this situation, which I have have been 
in a World Cup, like, is such an awesome feeling because this is what you live for. This is what you prepare for. Every day, all the sacrifices, everything that you've done up until this point in your career is for this moment. And, well, you've got the opportunity in this moment. You might get it again. A lot of these players have played in finals before. But to be a player of a match in this situation, and I can only think of someone like Rachin Ravindra, who's got a lot of history with India, if he goes in and does something special in this game, I mean, what a special opportunity that is for him. And you should get excited. And that's the thing is I think that our players will be more excited at the prospect of this game, whereas India will have a little bit more dread, as in we can't lose this because of the expectations. So very different mindsets that the teams are going in for. And we've got match winners. I mean, I've, we've spoken about the bowling of New Zealand and the batting of India, and I think that that's where this game is won or lost. But our batting is exceptional. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uncovering Ratchan Ravidra, we've got Kane Williamson who will be hungry for runs, um, and Devin Conway. It's almost like we had Conway and Williamson and maybe Mitchell through the middle to rely on. But now with Ratchan Ravindra there, Daryl Mitchell, um, you know, Tom Latham's probably been a bit yeah. shorter runs here, but he's, you know, he's quality and he's, he's, a, he's got big match temperament. If it's a 270 game, um, we're winning it, I think, uh, because of the quality uh, there. But, you know, if it's a higher scoring game, oh, I don't know. We need something really special. Yeah. We need one player to just step up. Hey, um, we don't have much time. I've got to get you out. I know you've got your real job to get to. But the thought of Australia and South Africa. Um, oh, South Africa with the, the highest powered batting lineup you could possibly imagine up against uh, a side who have a number of players who scored big, none bigger than Glenn Maxwell with a double hundred, but I think three players have hundreds for them. Mitchell Marsh has got a couple. David Warner's been in great touch. They've got a very experienced bowling attack, while South Africa have their own demons of semi-finals pass to get over. Uh, in a sentence or two, how do you see that game going? Well, one thing is, I think Glenn Maxwell's still be cramping. I mean, I don't... <laughs> Gee, he must be the stiffest man in the world at the moment. Anyone that watched footage of that, where he's lying on the floor and he's just got body cramp. Uh, running through his veins because he's probably he's never batted longer than 30 balls in a one day probably um, so you know 128 balls next level for him uh, Australia will be buoyant they'll be quite calm going into this game um, they've got match winners so they always look around the change room and they know that they've got someone that will step up at the right time so I think that they'll go in with confidence even though they've had probably an indifferent competition but I think you know, the worrying thing for South Africa is going in where this game just means so much for them. South Africa never made a final. Um, you know, the pressure is on. They haven't felt pressure all tournaments, probably only after they lost to the Netherlands. Um, there, there would have been a lot of pressure on them there with the old uh, choke tag. Um, I, I just think they're under so much pressure going into this game. I do hope that South Africa make it through because I do think that they've been the second best team here and the, you know, the standings would show that, India and South Africa 1 and 2. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is anyone's game, Daniel. Like, I, I, 
I'd say India are favourites in, in the semi-final we're playing against them as New Zealand. And then now I'd say in this one, I, I can't call it. So I don't know who the favourite is. I think this is a real 50-50 call. And it comes down to, once again, individual senior players stepping up in the moment. But I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a close contest, this one. Um, my gut tells me Australia, but South Africa have done some pretty spectacular things on the way to to uh, the semi-finals, so you can't count them out. Grant, a treat having you on the show, mate. Go enjoy your Monday. Thanks so much, mate. Really appreciate it, and I'll catch up with you on Saturday. Cheers, mate. I love your show on Saturday as well. It is pretty darn good. He's right. He is right. He's not wrong. He's not wrong. All right, you've heard from Grant Elliott there, the former Black Cap and uh, co-host of the Saturday session who drafted a terrible cricket team over the weekend, it has to be said. Um, let's hear from you. Our number is 0800 150 I'll repeat the news. Actually, I'll probably see Grant before Saturday. Maybe commentating a semi-final. Um, yeah, great news for us. We're, we're so excited to be able to bring this to you, both semi-finals and final, across uh, SCNZ in New Zealand and SCN in Australia. Cannot wait to be able to bring you coverage of that. As Marshy writes on double eight double three, uh, Daniel, good news that SNZ has Cricket World Cup one day international finals over the tranny over the night, boys. Bloody brilliant. Oh, tranny overnight, how good, Marshy, eh? Um, would love to get your thoughts. Now the semi-final lineup is uh, set. How are you feeling? They're enormous favourites, aren't they? They are enormous favourites, but all the pressure's on India. Let's hear from you after this break. 0800 150 811, 28 minutes after 9. Arts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. the voice let's hear from you use it go on let's talk some sport 0800 as always say at the top open line talk back i'm open to anything you want to uh discuss happy to do that uh i've led you down a path mainly because uh, great news here at scnz we're really proud of the fact that we've got the semi-finals and final of cricket world cup coming your way uh our coverage starts wednesday night 9 30 uh, with semi-final number one which happens to be new zealand up against india g'day cliff welcome aboard yeah, good morning. Hey, just a quick mention, Stephen Elker, he, he was leading this morning. I'm not sure just how he's going, but hopefully he could do the business and the big finale today. It'd be a good payday pay for him, and uh, like he won last year. But the um, the cricket. Now, if we're going to play India and we're going to have to, we're going to try and beat them, and if we're going to bowl first, we have to bowl just outside the off stump foot probably a foot outside, especially on a good length. You know, we don't want to be bowling half trackers and, and half volleys to these guys, and we certainly don't want to get on the pads. On their 
if we bowl on the body to Coley and Rohit Sharma, they'll just punch us through the leg side. We'll have to bring our le- fine leg square, and then they'll tickle us. So, yeah, we've just got to bowl down that uncertain channel. They don't like letting balls go past them. They'd like to dominate, especially Coley. He doesn't want to get out there in front of his home crowd look like he's under pressure. And that's what you've got to do. Bowl outside the off stump by a foot and make him play shots. He gets caught out a lot in extra cover. He likes going on that drive when he's not quite there. And it's the same with Sh- uh, Rohit Sharma. These guys, we've just got to go bowl well and bowl tidy, not on the body. And uh, if we bat first, we can graft a good score. I reckon anything close to 300, and uh, it's all runs pressure. Uh, be lovely to beat them and then beat the Aussie in the final. That would be my wish for the for Christmas if we can beat India and then beat Australia. Uh, we don't beat them well, you're much not asking home, for much. Can... You're not asking for much for Christmas, are you, Cliff? No, but it would be nice. It would be very tasty. So, what do you do? Think? You agree with? Oh, yeah. You, you make a lot of sense, but but I, I think it's also matchups, isn't it? As uh, Grant Elliott pointed out. If Trent Bolt can get the ball to swing back in towards uh, a Rohit Sharma, you can attack the stumps a little bit more t- uh, against him because he he does tend to um, have a bit of a magnet in you know on that knee roll uh, from time to time. Coley too. I, I remember Bolt bending the ball back and getting him LBW in the semi final four years ago. But the question is, how much swing is there going to be? It, it hasn't been very prevalent. So so maybe no. a, a far more disciplined bowling uh, approach, as you've outlined, is is the way. But uh, it would be a, it's a mountain to climb. That's how good this Indian side is. They're playing at home, but all the pressure's on them, as I've pointed out. And, and I, I can't think of, you know, in a, in a one-off game, you know, if anything would sort of rival it as far as an achievement. Because I, I think I have them that far ahead in, in my mind, Cliff. So, you know, if, are you a betting man? Is it a good chance, a decent chance? No, you know, very little chance? Oh, how do you judge it? I think it's probably... Mm, 65, 35. It depends. It depends. I'd like us to bat. I'd like us to get there and graft a, graft a good score and, and put the pr- runs pressure on them because I'm worried that if we don't get it, it doesn't swing, like you say with Bolt, that it's too, it's too much. Uh, we'll end up on the body, bowling on the pads and getting worked and, that, and somebody's going to make a big score and you know, we'll be chasing 350 and you know, with Boomerah and, and Shami, uh, Siraj, they, they, they're they not going to go out and bowl a lot of uh, rubbish to us. They don't go and bowl a lot of short stuff, and that's the worry with uh, with Ferguson is he starts trying to bowl too short. And, and if Rohit Sharma and these guys are in a bit, they'll just pull you, pull you for six, pull you, hook you for six. You know, so... But, yeah, we've got we've got a chance. We're in the semi, so that's, that's the main thing. And... Um, yeah, go the black. Go Stephen Elka too. I just hope that he wins it today. It'd be great. Well, he's look. I'll get you out on this, Cliff, and thanks for letting us off today. Um, Stephen Elka is one under through three. He leads by four now. He leads some guy Ernie Els. I'm not sure if Ernie Els has oh, much pedigree in golf. That'll be easy. Um, yeah, yeah. So he has a four-stroke lead. He has is uh, one under through three. So um, thanks for the shout out to Stephen Elka. Ben Campbell too. Great result for him. In Hawke's Bay, uh, Hawke's Bay, Hong Kong, sorry, Hawke's Bay, Hong Kong, basically the same, aren't they, as far as density, population density, exactly, right? They just, you know, mirror images of each other, really. 
something like that. Yeah, <clears throat> a little slip of the tongue. We almost speak from time to time. Uh, 0800 happy to discuss uh, the sporting weekend with you. Uh, but uh, the lead topic uh, on the back of uh, us at SNZ securing those rights for the semi-final and finals. Your thoughts on the semi-finals now. It's set in stone. Uh, what chance? I'm, tell you what, I'm, I'm not in Cliff's camp as far as, what was it, 65-35? I'm probably a little bit lower on that. I, I'm better at whipping up demons of the past. Um, and talking about New Zealand has a fine record at beating India. But this Indian side at this tournament do look a class above it. And that's why I think it would be such an incredible result if New Zealand were to get up. But I don't think we dismiss it out of hand. We have a lot of world, uh, you know, capable players. More than that, some world-class contributors for sure. I'd love to get your thoughts on uh, how you see that going. 0800-150-811. And Cliff, Cliff, all he wants for Christmas is to beat India and Australia to win a Cricket World Cup. I love that, Cliff. That's fantastic. That that doesn't sound like Christmas. That sounds like Christmas, birthday, uh, the next 15 Christmases all coming together um, on one, uh, in one week. 0800 uh, As far as what do you do, you settle your chase. I think, I think you bat first, don't you? You try and get that score and you hope under lights it moves around like it did for India when they were playing Sri Lanka in a game when they got 357 for eight. Batting first, India, at uh, Wankhede Stadium, where the semi-finals been played, and only won the game by 302 runs, uh, because they bowled Sri Lanka out for 55. Um, that happened. Yeah, that, that actually happened. 357 for eight, played 55. Uh, now, other games at that venue, South Africa made 399 for seven against England, and bowled England out for 117. Hmm, there's a bit of a trend here. South Africa played Bangladesh and scored 382 for five and bowled Bangladesh out for 233. Uh, the only real tight game um, was Afghanistan made 291 for the loss of five and Australia chased that down courtesy of one man. Like one man playing the most ridiculous innings I've seen in a long, long time. So if you're just looking at results at this tournament, it is a win the toss, bat, hopefully score 399, <laughs> and the ball moves around under lights a little bit more. It gives your bowling attack a chance. What sort of chance do you see uh, the Black Caps having? Do let us know. And what else captured your imagination over the sporting weekend? 18 away from 10 o'clock. Our number is 0800-150-811. Fast five, netball. It looked good for the New Zealanders until they meet Australia in the final. Kind of happened once or twice in netball over the years. Uh, great weekend for the Wellington Phoenix men and women. What about the English Premier League? Who watched that Chelsea-Man City game this morning? Four all, it's finished. And I would like to know, and I, I was I, I just picked up on an article uh, by The Athletic. Um, it, it was a couple of, it was after the 10th round, so what are we, 12 rounds in now? The 2023 Premier League table is unlikely to change dramatically. Here are the numbers to prove it. Basically, the article then goes and outlines why the table essentially does not change a great deal after 10 weeks. That It's a nice round number, yes, but it's a decent enough sample size to figure out what sort of title race do we have. So as we currently look at the EPL ladder, you've got Man City leading by just one point ahead against Liverpool and Arsenal. Spurs are only two points back. Aston Villa, heck, are only three points back. Do we have a five-team title race? I'd love to get football's fans' take on that. 
Uh, that would be delicious. Uh, do you believe? Do you believe all five teams are capable of maintaining the marathon? Uh, let us know. It's 17 away from 10 o'clock. Open line talk. Back with more of your calls. We certainly hope after this break. It's in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Our number is 0800-150811. Feel free to join us. Open line talk. You can send us a text message on the Temper and Bedpost text machine. Temper and Bedpost like no other. Matt writes, got money on Decock at high bat. I think that's most runs in the tournament you're trying to say there, Matt. Virat has just gone ahead. Thankfully, Decock has two games to go and Coley only has one. Oh, wonderful, Matt. I do love that outlook on life. Hopefully I'll get there eventually. He's obviously hinting that New Zealand will beat India and uh, South Africa will beat Australia and it will be New Zealand and South Africa in another final. Um, yes. Let's not talk about that old final. Um, 0800 if you want to talk about the cricket, uh, feel free. Uh, thrown out, the English Premier League history tells us the table won't change from here on in. So do we have a five-team title race? Because there's not much separating um, those sides. I know football fans in this country seem care more about that competition than the ones closer to home, so uh, feel free to jump in on that. And uh, as we welcome in um, Mr. Logan, Logan, uh, I see Paul Lewis at the New Zealand Herald over the weekend wrote another, this is not an original idea, but it got me thinking, uh, and I'll tell you why it got me thinking. Um, he suggested Super Rugby needs a draft, because there's too much sort of, you know, uh, groupings of good players at one franchise or <laughs> multiple franchises. No, what all franchising could spread, be alluding to there. Yeah, 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 yeah I wonder. Um, so that's not a new idea. But I was thinking to myself, well, Adi Savi would be the first pick. And then it dawned on me, well, he's not there mm. for this next year. He, it wouldn't be. And I know this is hypothetical, but I love my hypotheticals. And no one's calling, so I'm, I'm going to go down one of my rabbit holes. <laughs> um, who would you draft for next year, number one? Yeah. If you uh, were building a New Zealand Super Rugby franchise. I think you do have to go oh, for it's a... Ali. It's Ali so far ahead of anyone else. Yes, and I am a, yep. I'm a Wellingtonian and a Hurricanes fan and come at me. But who would you go, Logan? If Ali was available, yes, that would be my yep. obvious pick. Uh, I don't know. When you sort of look at the loose forwards... I mean, outside of that, I don't, I don't really know. I think you don't take someone like Dalton Papali'i maybe a little bit later. He wouldn't be my first overall no, pick. One. Yeah, not at one. Uh, but maybe you build it around a playmaker, um, a, world, a world class scarcity. A, yeah, yes, scarcity. a world class nine or ten. Someone who I think is getting there. And uh, I know you probably feel the same way because your your black and yellow roots there. Uh, McCarty, but why wasn't Cam Roycard seen more at the Rugby World Cup? He would be an interesting player to draft around, I think. Or if you want to go for a first five, Damien McKenzie. But again, I don't know if he'd be my first overall. I, I'm 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 at a loss here of who I think is up there as the you know run home home run number one draft pick. You know, I think Team makes a good shout actually. I think it's good shit. Scarcity, important position, international calibre. Um, yeah, I, I see a lot of sense in that, as much as I love Royguard. Um, yeah, over to you, double eight, double three, uh, or 0800 150 I know we're going to get to a break. Um, on the other side, uh, Logan's going to tell us all the details about our, uh, our poll for today. Stay with us. Back with more shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, coming up to the top of the hour, it's uh, nearly three minutes away from uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, Scott called through, but then his phone um, crapped out. 
Uh, he got his pick in. Uh, Logan was listening to it. I'll get his uh, thoughts. But Cameron has texted and said, uh, Morning, boys, in regards to Super Rugby Draft, I would go for Tyrell Lomax, number one pick. Now, I know that it's not a very sexy option, but rugby games are one up front, and this guy is a rock star. It's almost like you've been listening to me during the Rugby World Cup, Cameron. Um, um what did, what did Scott go with when he called so, 0800 Scott from Taranaki, uh, no surprises here. He wants to build his team around the Barrett family. He would start with Geordie. <laughs> Smiley. Which I actually think is quite a good pick. And then if he went for a second pick, he would go for Scott Barrett. If we asked him, uh, would you pick Bodie? He said, not nah, too old. Well, he's also not in Super Rugby next year. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, but we had to quiz him on that if he wanted to have all that's three right, bats or not. You know, well, if, if I'm allowed to change the rules, I'm going to go back and pick Ali Savia. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, keep your thoughts coming through. Um, hi, guys. It looks uh, like the Punters Club did very well on the weekend. Do you know what the total they're up to now? Cheers, Carl. Brian, do we know? We'll, fi- we'll find out maybe a little bit later. Maybe Brian does know off the top of his head. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring him in later. But first, uh, McCarty, we while we're talking about the Cricket World Cup semifinals and the final commentary going to be here on SNZ, how good, as you said at the top of the show, we are doing a poll of the day on uh, Twitter at SNZ underscore radio. Question is, who wins the Cricket World Cup? India, Australia, South Africa. Or New Zealand. Uh, currently, right now, uh, an hour into it, India, 20%. South Africa, just 3 Australia, 20%. And New Zealand, 54 I mean, uh, yeah. don't talk about wow. bias here. Uh, one comment said, <laughs> wow. pretty, pretty simple. As with the Rugby World Cup, home side loses in first final. However, New Zealand turns the tables, and this time, we break the South Africans' hearts in the final. Interesting. Wouldn't that be nice? Be very Wouldn't nice. Wouldn't that be nice? Um, and Rory writes, hopefully by Thursday morning, the whole of India will be feeling a little melancholy, uh, melancholy. Very good. Boom, boom. Tish. Something. Shh. Shh. I think what you're trying to what you're trying to say, what you're trying to say. Um, and Br- Brad's actually drafted. He's made the first ten picks of the draft. Savia goes to the Highlanders. Mackenzie to the Canes. Jordan to the Blues. Yuani to the Chiefs. Geordie to the Crusaders. Amur to Crusaders. Scott Roygaard, Talia Lomax, Chiefs Blues, Hurricanes, Highlanders, Snake Draft, clearly uh, coming up to the news at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to talk the round ball code. The Wellington Phoenix women have made a very positive start to the season. 3-1 win yesterday at Porirua Park. Uh, Macy Fraser scoring an absolute beauty from a free kick. Uh, Katie Barrett out of the Wellington Phoenix to join us to discuss. South Island Forklifts are your home for all things forklift. Check out their website for more info, siforklifts.co.nz. Thing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big Byra is there as well. It's going to be Fraser! you wanted to prove to anyone why you are the Wellington Phoenix's biggest ever deal, that is exactly why. That is an extremely good strike from Fraser. No keeper in the world, male or female, is saving that one. Yeah, the only uh, risk the keeper was at was hurting her neck as she looks up and to her right and sees the ball crash into the net. Uh, as heard on Sky Sports uh, yesterday, Jason Pine, Katie Barrett on the mic. 
as the Wellington Phoenix. Women have made a very positive start to the A-League in Potidore Park. Three goals to one. They've been in Western United. Western United only scoring, I think, out deep into stoppage time. The aforementioned Katie Barrett joins us, who was with Sky Sport, but of course uh, with the Wellington Phoenix, where she is uh, a female uh, academy lead, female development academy lead. Katie, thanks so much for giving up uh, some of your Monday. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Still a, still a little bit on the come down, if I'm honest. Um, after what I got to see at Porirua Park. Um, but yeah, thank you for having me. And yeah, so happy for Paul and for the girls. Yeah, they're fun to watch, aren't they, Katie? And yet, and I, re- I remember last season, they were quite good after sort of eight or nine rounds. And they sort of matched up. If, if you ran a league table from that point on, about fifth or sixth, so they were, the, the bones were there. But the start to last season was really hard for everyone involved. But this time around, it's clicking. They are good to watch. What do you put it down to? Yeah, I guess I've been lucky enough to see some of the work um, behind the scenes and knew this was brewing for a while now. And, yeah, being able to see it um, and being able to know that other people can see it is really, really special. I think, uh, look, the imports make a big difference to the squad. It allows just those young players, the Macy Fraser, Mania Elliott's, to be able to step up in those opportunities and shine um, a little bit more. So I think the imports have made a massive difference. We've seen the difference they've made to other sides in the league as well. Um, they haven't been uh, like oh, they they haven't been outstanding all of the time, but you definitely notice that they they do ramp up the quality in that group as well. So yeah, I think uh, massive credit to the club for getting those girls along because um, yeah, it's it's definitely made a bit of a difference this season. Yeah, like Davidson adds balance at right fullback. They probably lack that natural sort of attack-minded fullback. Uh, Speckmeyer and her sort of um, goal-scoring prowess to the fore last weekend. And those type of players, especially up front, who can poach you a goal, are just worth their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, in years previously, maybe there was only one or two goal-scoring threats and with the quality in the league in terms of analysts and support staff at other sides, if you've only got one or two threats, an opposition team can usually work out how to stop that one. Whereas now, you know, seeing Kate Taylor had some strikes outside the box, you know that Macy Fraser's always dangerous. Beckmeyer, you can mark her, but then you've got Emma Main, Hope Breslin out on the wing. So I think there's just so many different options to the Phoenix side and at the same time, while you've got all of that joy in attacking, you've got Mackenzie Barry and Marisa Vandermeer and Riley Foster, all doing an exceptional job back there too. So, yeah, it's just a really balanced side this year. Yeah, and you've got a lot more experience. I know Sean Gill on the show, on the Saturday session on Saturday, and he, he, he outlined just the experience the New Zealand players have had uh, is so vital. They, they, they just feel far more self-assured at this, le- at this level. Yeah, definitely. And I think even those maybe unexperienced players in the league have played high level in America. We've got Macy who's already been to two age group World Cups. Manaya captained the under-17 side. So I think we're seeing a little bit more experience. Obviously, that generation kind of in between Macy and in between Manaya um, missed out on age group World Cups due to COVID. And I think that makes a big difference in a young player's career. I think you mature a lot from those experiences. So, yeah, when even your inexperienced players still have international experience. I think that's pretty special. Katie, what stood out as far as the performance against United yesterday? I think 
I think for me, I went into the game a little bit nervous. Western United have been pretty aggressive and assertive, and I think that's that's a bit we haven't seen from the Phoenix yet, like them being yeah a bit pushed around, especially when you've got technical players in your squad. It can be a little bit hard, and I wouldn't say that the Phoenix dominated that game. I think Western United were certainly in the game for the most part, but I think what I'm most pleased with is that you're talking about an even game and an even amount of chances per team, but we're the team finishing those chances, and I think that's always a a good sign of a high-performance squad. So, yeah, I was really pleased for the girls um, in that department, for sure. There was much to like on both sides of the field, I I thought, Um, and that first goal was always going to be hugely important. Uh, One into the mixer, we've seen uh, quality set-piece delivery from the side and one player in particular, Michaela Foster, a lot over the last uh, couple of years. But, you know, that, that uncertainty at the near post um, uh, created that goal-scoring chance. And getting that first was pretty important. Yeah, definitely. And I think credit to Chloe Not I, I think I said on the commentary, both Chloe and Macy's goals were real signs of their player traits. I think Chloe's usually, if you watch her in the game, kind of one of the first one to get amongst the scraps and she's done it in a really positive area of the pitch and been able to poke that one home but you yeah they were Phoenix were a little bit under pressure before that I would say and then had a couple of chances and then yeah to go 1-0 up I think when it's a little bit of a cagey affair helps the team with a lot of confidence and the girls definitely settled down after that goal so yeah it was really great to see. And that uh, free kick, we've played a clip of it. Um, I'd imagine you and Jason were sort of jumping up and down at Potidora Park. (laughs) That was something. It was a thing of real beauty and power too. (laughs) Yeah, it was. uh, we definitely jumped up. I've got to remember I'm on the mic sometimes in those moments, but (laughs) I think I was just filled with pride. I mean, I've been lucky enough to work with Macy for the last couple of years um, and being able to see her do that kind of behind the scenes and we were hoping, you know, people have been watching her in the last couple of years and now she's got the opportunity to show the world, you know, what she can do and she's the club's biggest ever deal but I think, look, I think we could be talking about, and it's, it's, a, it's the start of her professional career and I don't want to pump her tyres too much and put that pressure on her but there's a very good chance she could be the first ever sold player at the club. I mean, you see a quality like we haven't seen before. And, I, uh, yeah, I, I hope the, the progression continues because there's still even more we haven't seen of Macy. But she's someone that whenever she's on the ball, everyone's a little bit excited, and that's what gets fans to ground. So I think the club have done really, really well to get Macy along this season. You were very excited. If you'll allow me to take you back a few months during... Uh, Katie joined us for the FIFA Women's World Cup and provided brilliant analysis. And I think it was a night we were calling uh, the team I predicted to do amazing things, Zambia, uh, at the World Cup, and they fell flat in their face. <laughs> and, and I was talking about... Um, I think it was Millie Kligu leaving. Um, and you said, don't worry, we've got Macy Fraser. And you sort of <laughs> leaned in and your eyes popped out, like almost popped out of your head. So knew, you knew there was something special there. My question is... Why has it taken her so long to break into the side? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think um, Macy explained it really well. Is that one really for the well former coach? Yeah. <laughs> I think Macy explained it really well. She said every player has their own journey and this is just hers. And I think, yeah, she's just turned just turned 21, so still super young. And I think, you know, there's little peaks and troughs within, within a young player's career and yeah, I think I think it's worked out really well for Macy in the end. Actually, like she's in a in a bit of a peak at the moment, and there'll be some hard times still. But I think we've probably got Macy at her best um, 
at her best form now uh, in the league. So I think that's really cool that she's entered at a time she's ready. Um, and yeah, she's certainly lit up the entire league, not just the Wellington Phoenix already. So yeah, I think every player's journey is different. It's a really great story for the academy girls too that, you know, we're talking about 16, 17-year-olds maybe that are trying to push for a contract and that would be great. But at the same time, if you work hard behind the scenes, it's, it's all going to work out if you're the right person and you work hard. So, yeah, it's a really great story for the club. Are the team having to sort of ch- change their expectations for the season ahead based on what they've done so far? Because they look like they can really foot it. Yeah, I think I, I think we're... There's, I guess with Paul being in with the squad, he's come from the academy and it's always kind of a you-against-yourself mentality and I think that's fed into the team. You know, for all the teams uh, in the girls' girls' space at the club this year, we've talked about improving every game and hopefully by your last game you're in the grand final playing the best game you've ever played. So I think if they continue on that, you know, we've seen a more complete side every week from, from the team. And I think if they just, you know, try and keep under the radar a little bit and keep getting <laughs> chipping away, I think, uh, yeah, the the outcomes that the team are capable of will naturally come. But, yeah, I think there, there's probably a few ex-squad members that are really happy with where they've come. The imports are probably really happy with how the season started. But, again, there's international windows coming up where we know that squad's affected more than others, potentially. Um, yeah, so they're going to have to just true. keep switched on and, and, yeah, continuing on the path they're going on. Yeah, but they look like they have legitimate options, don't they? Uh, you, know, had the, you know, the really, really uh, sad news of Grace Wodniewski's uh, significant knee injury just 13 seconds into last weekend's game. Uh, Chloe, not so experienced, comes into the starting lineup, and now you're in a position to bring Annalie Longo off the bench. Uh, Flea will obviously want to start eventually, uh, but those options, especially in the middle of the park where the game is defined, Kate Taylor in there now really sort of evolving as a defensive midfielder, um, you know, the, the blocks to build something are, are quite obvious. Yeah, definitely. I think it's a, it's it's really, really special this year to have so much depth across the squad. You know, I'm lucky enough to be in the reserves team space, so I usually get, uh, I guess, the, the leftovers that don't make the game day squad and you're talking about players that have years and years of National League experience. Rebecca Lake not necessarily playing the most minutes she'd hoped for but she's a quality player and you're bringing her on or you want to bring your subs on because they're genuinely going to change the game and I think, yeah, that's every coach's dream and look, it's really, really sad for Grace and like I think we'll miss something there but at the same time it's a good opportunity for those coming through and even if you look at the National League this year some of the midfielders within the academy are chipping away doing a really good job so I think yeah I just think we're dealing with a lot more depth than we have in previous years and that's a credit to like all of the clubs around the country and the National League has been a big part in developing young players and making them ready for the A-League. What was it like as an experience out at Potato Park before I let you go Katie? Oh, definitely, definitely really special, I think. Yeah, obviously, commentary-wise, it was a lot different, being a little bit more amongst the crowd, um, a lot more noisier, but just being able to hear the tackles, hear the hear the players call for the ball, or, yeah, being able to see the players. You know, Macy's goal was super special. The crowd was buzzing. 
we've got the motorbikes <laughs> from down the street <laughs> that we can hear. So, yeah, it was definitely a really cool atmosphere, you know, I think. And as a starting point for Porirua Park, that's the exact type of game the club will want. And I think it's going to encourage a lot more people to get down and hopefully some more people from the community as well. I saw a lot of children there and I think, yeah, continuing to get more people down to the game. But goals are a good way to get people involved in football if they don't know a lot about it. And those were, yes, three really important goals at different occasions of the game. Cody, thanks so much. Really do appreciate your time. Go enjoy your day. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks, Dan, and I'll see you soon. I look forward to it. Katie Barrett joining us there. Of course, uh, female development lead with the Wellington Phoenix Academy. Uh, looks after their reserve team. And a real fountain of knowledge and really good behind a microphone too. Um, I know she doesn't do it week in, week out, but whenever she steps up for us uh, here during our FIFA World Cup um, and also with Sky Sporters, she was alongside Jason Pine at uh, Potidoa Park yesterday and finished three goals to one. Uh, the Phoenix taking the lead after 31 minutes. Chloe not uh, poking home after another good delivery to the near post. Uh, uh, Macy Fraser's uh, free kick is just quite beautiful, really. Go watch it. Um, and there was an own goal too that made it 3-0, and Western United only scored, I think, deep into added time. So how does that impact the table? Well, it, it, it's looking good for the Wellington Phoenix, currently sitting in uh, third position, just three points off the top. Three wins from four, uh, and just one loss there. The opening uh, round loss to Melbourne City's in front of them. Melbourne City's in second on 10 points, and Perth Glory on 12. The Wellington Phoenix men uh, also remain unbeaten in the A-League men's competition. The first time they've ever gone four games into a season without a loss. So a really positive start for them. They too are also in third position. Uh, but they're locked up with Western Sydney Wanderers, Melbourne Victory and MacArthur. All on eight points at the top. So it's essentially a four-way tie. I know goal difference separates them, but that doesn't really matter now. It's eight points. Uh, although quite a bizarre game. It finished one all. The Wellington Phoenix didn't have a shot. Let alone one on target. Didn't have a shot but left Melbourne with a point. I hope they sprinted to the airport and just got out of there with that point in their back pocket. Uh, I know there was more VAR controversy. Um, one very good bit of VAR use in the second half uh, ruled out a penalty that went against Wellington Phoenix. And the Phoenix could have had a penalty that would have made it 2-1 prior to half time, but uh, VAR suggested the most marginal of offside calls. I had Sean Gould, the director of football on the program on the Saturday session, and he said uh, they were more concerned about the inconsistency of refereeing over all and they're actually writing to the A-League for a please explain uh, about that. So um, be interesting to see what they got, what they get back, if anything. Um, that's a look at uh, football in this part. What about in the English Premier League? Gee, Chelsea have been involved in two absolutely extraordinary games over the past week, or less than a week. Uh, this morning it was uh, Manchester City 4, Chelsea 4. Scored a penalty against Burnley. Scored a penalty against Arsenal. Scored a penalty against Tottenham on Monday. His first three goals in a Chelsea shirt. Can he make it four out of four? All from the spot. Palmer makes it 4-4. Four, four. He's a Chelsea blue now, true and true. Four goals apiece. Manchester City and Chelsea. I think we've got some audio of the respective managers. Who we're starting with? Who we're starting with? Let's go with Pep. Let's go with Amazing Pep. Amazing game. You gave them lots of problems. They gave you lots of problems. Why did it end up being that epic end-to-end -end game that we saw? 
Yeah, with Adbert for the Premier League, so both teams want to try to do quality players and ability to keep the ball, to drive with the ball many meters, so you have to defend deep. And and but in general, we're really pleased. Uh, so nothing to regret. So we did everything we could do better. Some mistakes, but they happen when the opponent bring you in the you know in this condition, the high level. But uh, you know, happy for the. Uh, yeah, we were close, but eight minutes extra time, nine minutes extra time is, is almost, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of, of time. And yeah, I think it's for result because we have our momentum, especially when the two, three, not to have two or three transitions that could, no, could kill the game because still thirty minutes to play. But um, yeah, in that moment we were close. It was control, and after we made some some bad decisions or good decisions for them, and we and we draw. I had the feeling throughout the match almost like I think within three or four minutes you called Haaland over to relay a message to Alvarez and then I think Diaz came over a little bit later Walker changed Grealish for Doku quite early in the second half I just had the feeling that you were trying to maybe fix something or, or figure something out to give your team greater control yeah simply, simply yeah I always have to, to think about it what we can do and getting better but Guys, that if we, people expect what we have done, we come here for you know for uh, to win zero seven. That is, uh, this is not going to happen. So they 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 try to you know rebuild on from from new era from from chassis. They you know everyone the players that they have and and have a, a top a top quality team. So we knew it and we compete and still have the, this desire hungry. So yeah, in that terms no complaints. Well, these signs of life for Chelsea after a 4-1 win against Spurs last weekend. It's four against Man City, although they share the points. Mauricio Pochettino looks like he's building something. Well, Mauricio, for the second time in a week, it's an unbelievable game of football you've given us. You look really calm, but on the touchline, you must have been through every emotion. <laughs> yes, it's true, because that is why we always said that the Premier League is the best league in the world. And yes, if we want to build something special here in Chelsea, it's, it's in this way that we need to play and feel uh, the game. I think it was another unbelievable game, scoring four goals again and again a team that is for me the best on the on the world. And yes, it's good to go to the international break with this feeling. So you said before the match you wanted to be protagonist, you wanted to get on the front foot, cause them problems. How were you able to cause them as many issues as you did? Well, I think, uh, I think the approach of the game was really good. I think uh, we were brave. We were thinking always to try to, uh, to think on the, on the opponent goal. Uh, that is the idea of, of football. That is the idea of mentality. I think as, uh, yes, I am so proud. I am so so happy because I think the players never give up, always uh, work for more. And and then in a tough moment in the last uh, minutes, I think the reaction of the of the team was amazing and the players. That is why uh, deserve all the credit. With Cole Palmer sort of tucking in to make it a four, were you able to give them a lot of problems in midfield? Yes, because he's a player that understands the game and use the the half positions, um, the play very well, very good in between the line and to create confusion to the opponent. He always give option to play and find the um, the free man, you know. And yes, uh, he's a player that we were talking before. No, he's a, like a, this playmaker that link all the things, uh, all the teammates, and and make the the team to look good.
Absolute uh, beauty of a game this morning for all it finished between uh, Man City and uh, Chelsea. We will take a break 23 and a half minutes after 10 o'clock. There's a good uh, wrap of football both home and abroad. Art and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Tenfold, bad drive, got a chip out of the trees. I'll get out in no time, got my trusty wedge with me. I check my bag, then I check it again, my heart falls to my feet. I left my favorite wedge out lying somewhere on the green. So I start to double back and I'm getting super pissed. Where did I leave it? Where the hell did I leave it? At the ninth, the eighth, the seventh, or the sixth. I'm asking everyone, nobody has seen it. Suddenly I turn to see a man with arms outstretched. He's got my club. He smiles and says, is this your wedge? Have Nickelback got into golf songs, have they? Uh, there was just a little bit of golf humour for your Monday morning, uh, McCarty. No, that was, um, they're called St. Andre Golf. Uh, very hilarious. They do a lot of golf parody skits and songs like that. But I just thought it was a fun why way to get into our golf update. Why, why can't I just, why can't I stop thinking about Nickelback now? Uh, why can't? Why can't I? Look, I cannot stop I, thinking about. Okay, well, I'm sorry. Chad I'll, I'll, Kroger in, a, in an ill-fitting T-shirt holding a photograph up. Can we not? <laughs> let's uh, let's not put that visual right. image uh, into our listeners' heads, and instead, let's keep track of uh, Stephen Alka's performance on the uh, Charles Schwab Cup Championship. Of course, it is the season-ending uh, tournament for the PGA Tour champions. Uh, Alka does hold a one-shot lead. We had Cliff from Dunedin calling earlier, and he sort of made mention of Ernie Els. Well, Ernie Els, um, kind of thinking he might have a good round here because he has birdied five on the front nine. Wow. He, ha- he had a chance to to birdie and get a share of the lead with Alka on the 10th, and he, uh, he just missed it wide, and so he had to two-putt for par. But he is right on the heels of Stephen Alka. Alka himself, uh, he teed off at 8.50 a.m. Uh, New Zealand time. He's just finishing his front nine now, so he has gone... He birdied the third. Looks like he bogeyed the fifth, so he's uh, he's even for the day. So he's, he's doing all right. He's holding firm. The one thing I like about this, though, uh, that they're finishing in Phoenix... I'm wondering if this is actually his is uh, Stephen Elko's home course because he is based in Phoenix, Arizona, these days. So I bet he's loving that he didn't have to go very far for uh, the weekend. He's been in uh, great form, isn't he? Oh, he is he's so been in great form. I, I love watching Elka, and I, as the years go on, I seem to be liking my golf more and more. Uh, another thing happening in the golf, and you know, we've talked about it. Uh, briefly in the news is how Ben Campbell won the Hong Kong Open today, uh, overnight. Um, one interesting thing there, though, because he was playing partners uh, with Cameron Smith and also Thailand's uh, Peshara Kongwat Mai. A uh, bit of controversy there, McCarty, because at one point it seemed like uh, Kongwat Mai basically held them to ransom while he waited 15, 20 minutes trying to fish out his ball. And I... I, I <laughs> I sent you the video of this. It is so awkward. He's holding this branch back. He's trying to pull it out. His caddy is trying to clear the way. 
And I think uh, Smith and Campbell are both questioning whether this is actually within the rules or the spirit of golf, if we want to go down uh, that path, where maybe the tree was dead, but it definitely seemed like he cleared a whole bunch of vegetation while he took it out to try and, uh, you know, get a shot going. And in the end, I think he got down onto his knees, couldn't f- could barely see the ball, and he, he hacked it out onto the fairway. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know. I, if that was me, I'd be pissed off that someone was holding play up for 15, 20 minutes because you were searching in in the bushes and, like, dude, there must be a time limit at some point where you're like, look, you're just going to have to take the drop. Well, two things stick out to me with this video, and it is very funny. One is, can they come around to my house and remove uh, some trees <laughs> uh, on my section? But secondly, what are the rules there? To, like, If it's a dead tree and it's unattached, I, it's out of the creek. You can, can you move a golf fence? I don't know. I the, get the impression the, that yes, you can, uh, but I think yeah, if I, it's if it's not attached, I yeah. think Cameron Smith was was arguing that while that might have been, he has also broken branches in the process, and I think that's what he is annoyed with. Yeah, well, I've just spent too much time reading the World Rugby Rule Book and the Cricket World Cup Rule Book, and I'm not sure I can d- d- dig into the uh, in, into the realm of golf right now. Uh, if you want to let us know the rules on that one, uh, feel free. Uh, it's uh, excellent stuff. Uh, no Chad Kroger on the way out. Hope not. It's 27 minutes away from 11. Six minutes away from 11 o'clock to the text time we go. Keep your comments coming through on double eight, double three, Temper and Bear Post text machine. Temper and Bear Post, like no other. Uh, Trent writes, um, have a look at the World Cup final. Lomax looks scared with four emojis. Or well, four question marks. Four question marks? Well, I'm confused now, Trent. Are you asking me if I, I think he looks scared? I think they are emojis, but the text machine doesn't recognise them. Okay. Yeah. So the power of actually using words. Okay, um, I, I did watch the Rugby World Cup final. Um, that is one of the takeaways I did not have. But each to their own. And then uh, Trent writes, um, first pick Adam Lennox, and he doesn't even have a contract. With, again, four emojis that uh, have not appeared. Who's he? Annie Len- Lennox's son? I don't know. No, I'm being mean there. He's a halfback, isn't he? But doesn't have a contract. Probably. Maybe Trent has fa- a favourite there, which is fair enough. What is Trent talking about? Well, um, I think the 798th opinion piece uh, written over the years by New Zealand Media talking about a draft in Super Rugby. Um, and I just thought, if you were drafting for next year, but there's no Adi Safi. He's number one, in my mind, anyway, in this Hurricanes fan mind. Like, if, if I can't pick Adi Safi, who, who should I pick? I don't know who to pick. Uh, double eight, double three. If you were building a Super Rugby team next year, it's a, it's a hypothetical. It's called fun. Sport's allowed to be fun. Who would you pick first? And someone did text in and suggest Tyrell Lomax. Not a sexy pick, but as a tight head. Um, and Carlos writes, Morning Snake, I have a message for all the wannabe Tottenham, Spur, uh, Tottenham, Tottenham supporters. rather. 
Oh, yes, I'm the great pretender. Now, that's a song, mate. That is a good song. Adrift in a world of my own, I played the game, but to my real shame, you've left me to grieve all alone, the great pretender. Excellent work there, Pierce. We're up to second on the list. Uh, going well, you'll never walk alone, writes Carlos. Uh, keep your messages rolling through to double eight double three on the Temper and Beer Post text machine. Back after this, it's 23 minutes away from 11. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Bulletin. It is time for the Bulletin of Fine New Zealand Sporting Mind joining the programme to discuss a variety of topics. Come on down, David Long. Great to hear from you. How are you doing? Oh, I can hear you now. Should we get the nice... Well, we won't repeat the niceties. I, I can hear you. Um, I didn't hear your answer, but I'm sure it's like, Daniel, so good to hear from you. I've missed your friend. Something along the lines. Hey, huge strides being made by the NRL and scheduling the Anzac Day game. I remember the days when they didn't even have it on Anzac Day. I remember the days when it was only ever played in Australia and New Zealand were featuring. It sounds like the Warriors are going to play at home on Anzac Day. How good. They are. That's right. Yeah, the draw is coming out uh, later on today. Um, but um, it will say that the Warriors will be playing um, uh, the Titans at home on Anzac Day. Um, this year, as three games going to be on, and it will be the first one of the day. Um, so, not really the tradition that um, has sort of been established of the Warriors playing the Storm. Uh, they'll play them in round two. So, I'm not sure why. I think it's a bit slightly disappointing that it it is um, the Titans, not the Storm. But you know, it's um, it's it's a win, I guess, for the Warriors to at last um, have a have a chance to play at home because they really do deserve it. You know, the Storm and the other NRL teams do a great job at celebrate. It's commemorating Anzac Day, you know, and marking the occasion. And it would be it would be nice now for for New Zealand and the Warriors to get a chance to do that as well. Well, small steps. We can't expect everything out of the NRL to get it right when it comes to this. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's taken a long time to get this far, but you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, yeah, you make a good point as well about Anzac Day. You know, it would be. It's certainly only NRL and the Australian sort of sports that do it. We don't. We still don't sort of. You know, do it with sports uh, in New Zealand. It would be it would be good if I think if, especially now we haven't got South African teams in Super Rugby. If we did sort of have a have a try and get some tradition of having Super Rugby games on that day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe in an ideal world, um, the Storm come to Auckland to to play an Anzac Day game, but maybe I'm uh, being fanciful there it seems like the game in Melbourne has been set in stone for a long long time and will continue hey one of your um other specialty sports let's go to boxing it sounds like Joseph Parker could be on quite a wild card um firstly against a bit of a, a wild man himself and Deontay Wilder see what I did there uh, December 23rd uh, in Saudi Arabia where every boxer goes at the moment I think this is only 56 days after his bout with Simon Keane so a heavy workload for uh Joseph Parker if he, he can pull this one off I guess it is a hut who I didn't normally see uh, heavyweight fighters fighting so quickly after the last fight. But I guess, you know, with, uh, with, with Parker is with his career, um, you know, a fight like this, when it comes up, I guess it's you know, too big an opportunity to turn down. It's been a few years now since he lost his, his heavyweight title. Um, 
And he, you know, he's 31, I think. So, you know, he needs an opportunity to get back in and sort of make it have a statement win and sort of get back up there to try and fight someone, um, you know, like Fury or, or one of those one of those guys to get a title belt back. It's. Um, it sounds uh, like it could be a mega card, though, David. Right? Like, it sounds like there's some uh, there's going to be multiple heavyweight fights on the same card, which is really cool. But if you're talking about Joseph Parker, he he takes. He doesn't even think. He says yes, right? You just say yes to Deontay Wilder. Yeah, you have to, really, don't you? It's it, it's it's a no-brainer, really, for him to go and fight someone like that again and to sort of be up there or mixing it with those with those top guys and trying to get a big fight. Um, he's got a few more years left in him, but um, uh, yeah, he has, absolutely, yeah, he's got to go for it. And if he, you know, and I think probably if he loses, then. Um, it's you know that could well be the end for him in terms of trying to get another crack at a title. It, it, it's 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 probably about you know it's, I think it'd be fair to say his career is on the line with this fight. Yeah, interesting sort of idea the fight there, the matchups, the the, the sort of you know craftsmanship that that uh, Parker does have, and Deontay Wilder is just a fearsome puncher. Yeah, yeah, yeah just right, yeah. Um, it is. It's just imagine you know someone else going to Saudi Arabia for for the sport. It seems to be each time each time someone does it now, it becomes less of a less of a talking point and an issue. And it does look like a cracking card that will be on there. And, and I guess we're seeing another sport that's um, you know heading the way to to lots more events in Saudi Arabia. And I guess with the nature of boxing, where it, you can bring everybody in uh, for one big event, you know, as we saw in the in the days of Muhammad Ali many many years ago. You can. It does sort of work having it in a in one of sort of places um, like this for a big fight. It's almost like the sports washing is almost working, David. Uh, to tennis, we now turn. The ASB Classic director has put a bit of pressure on New Zealand players. Yeah, that's right. So the, um, they decided last or for this year's just January's tournament that they would give a wild main draw and a qualifying wild card to New Zealand players uh, and have a tournament playoff tournament to decide uh, who would get them. And the entries were pretty poor last year, with a lot of players deciding that they didn't want to do it. Uh, they play in a tournament in Numea, well, on the men's side of it, instead, uh, and then go and ask for wild cards afterwards. Um, and actually, Rye got, uh, was a New Zealand one at the time, he got one. But it's, it's pretty much said this time, if you want to play ASB Classic, um, you know, wild cards are not a, not a right. You know, they're a privilege to get. And if you want to, if you want to have the time, chance to get a lot of ranking points, a lot of prize money, um, then you play in this wild card tournament. There will be two. There'll be one down in Tiano for the men's and the one up in um, Stanley Street for the women's one just after Christmas. Um, I also think as well there was a bit of um, you know, players wanting to save face, um, not wanting to lose to somebody else and you know, keep that sort of thing, oh, I'm better than you but I'm not going to play your type, type attitude. But it's, it's pretty much been put on the line for it this time. I actually had a chat with Erin Routliff who won the women's one last time and I said, are you keen on doing it again? Or, or she's an she's incredible, you know, world-class doubles player now. And she's having to think about it. She's still not sorted out her schedule for next year completely, right. so that might have an impact on it. But um, I guess you could also say it's fair to say that despite Erin Routliff being uh, a doubles specialist, he's still probably New Zealand's best singles player. Yeah, and, and I can't help but think, what do fans want with regard to a wild card? Probably the best player available not what passport they carry? Well, it's a tricky one. Uh, and I've had many arguments with tournament directors over the years about whether to give New Zealand players wild cards. 
Well, I think it's someone who's a big name, um, like a, I think Guest Game might have got one last year, or or someone who people know, who, you know, who's on the, who's a big name but needs a wild card to get in. Then it's fair enough given it. But I think just to sort of giving it to some little-known player from Serbia or Croatia or South America just because they might someone have might have potential. Um, then I'm not always think it's worthwhile. People do like watching New Zealand players play at, at the ASB Classic. And one of the changes that they're going to make this year is that um, they're going to make sure that um, that, that there's more that, that Michael Venus and Aaron Routliff play their doubles matches on centre court. Obviously, the rain impact the rain impacted last year, but they would they were, they would have been playing on the outside court for the first few rounds of doubles. But um, you know, people in New Zealand they want to see Aaron and they want to see Michael Venus. Um, so it's, it's, it's always a tricky one with the wild cards, but I think if you can help New Zealand players out, it's the only chance of year where they can get a lot of money. Then I think that you know that should be the first sort of choice should be to try and give it to someone from New Zealand. Uh, Longy, before I let you go, mate, um, do you think all New Zealand newspapers should hold the the back page for the Black Caps beating India? <laughs> <laughs> should you go late to <laughs> Yeah, that'd be very, very late to print. <laughs> no, I, I can't see that one. I can't see that one happening, to be honest. No. <laughs> hey, mate, thanks so much for running out of time. Lovely to hear your voice, mate. I hope you're doing well. Hopefully, we can catch up in person soon. Yeah, all the best. Nice to speak to you again, mate. Uh, David Long joining us uh, there, whipping across uh, league boxing tennis uh, easily as he so uh, easily can. Um, and a little pithy comment about the cricket. Yeah, it, it is quite a mountain for the Black Caps, but. but but you never know. Eight and a half away from 11 back after this. Mr. Swinkles, uh, the NFL um, always intrigues New Zealanders on a Monday especially. And a Tuesday, let's not forget that. Yes, what are the odds? Yes, it does. So the uh, the afternoon game is the Las Vegas Raiders versus the New York Jets. Um, to be honest, I call that a bit of a, a, bit of a snooze fest, that one. Head to head, the Raiders are paying $1.97. The New York Jets are playing $1.77. And then for Tuesday's game, the big one, Monday Night Football, Buffalo Bills versus the Denver Broncos. That one should be exciting. Uh, that starts at 2.15pm New Zealand time. The Bills playing $1.28, very heavily favoured against the Denver Broncos, paying three forty-five. So a bit of a Josh Allen v. Russell Ooh. Wilson matchup there. I'll, I'll look forward to that one. I, I mean, thought that was Jim Kelly against John Elway for a second. <laughs> oh, quite. Uh, it'll, that'll be a good one. And then, of course, I know because we've been talking a lot about the Cricket World Cup, the semi-finals, and the final going to be commentated live here on SCNZ and SCN. Uh, South Africa v Australia, as you imagine, Australia favoured at $1. seventy-three. South Africa two or five, and then in the other one, of course, India versus the Black Caps. India. A dollar thirty-three. Can you guess how much New Zealand is paying right now, Daniel? Uh, between three and three fifty, based on my understanding of odds. Oh, very good. Three twenty. So uh, obviously, uh, people back in India. There, top run scorers for India: Rohit Sharma, three seventy-five. Uh, same for Virat Kohli, Shimon Gill, four twenty. And then New Zealand top run scorers: Devon Conway, three seventy-five. Rashin Ravindra, four fifty. Daryl Mitchell, five dollars. Really looking forward to that one, uh, Daniel. Don't think oh, we'll get much sleep. I cannot wait. It's going to be so good. Check out all the odds, promos, and boosted odds on the Grand Tour Hub at tab.co.nz. Bet safely. It is R18. 
Uh, before we head off to news, let's find out what Stephen Alka is doing as we find out about the golf. Uh, he's still on the lead. Excellent news there. Ernie Owls uh, was off to a bit of a heater. Uh, the South African great, the Big Easy. Um, he is five under through 11 holes is Ernie Owls. He is 16 under for the tournament at the Phoenix Country Club. Um, this is the Charles Warb Cup Championship. Um, Alka won it last year, didn't he? He won it last year, I think. Uh, and he's uh, in the mix to go back-to-back because he has a two-stroke lead. He's only one under four today. He has played nine, so he's made the turn still in front. But that gap has closed. It is now just a two-stroke lead. And when we went to air, it was a four-stroke lead. So, uh, But still, two shots ahead of Ernie Els. 18 under for the tournament. Excellent stuff there, Mr. Steve Alka. We'll continue to follow that over the final hour of the show. Coming up in the final hour, we're going to talk some NBA. Try and get a hit around the uh, the new tournament, in-season tournament that they are playing. Uh, looking forward to that. We've got the uh, Polaris Sports Desk as well. Uh, we'll also catch up with uh, Staffy, and we'll give our uh, results for our SCNZ radio poll of the day. But it is 11 o'clock. Time to head to the news. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, good morning, one and all. If you're late to the programme, firstly, where have you been? You've missed a lot. A uh, lot to come in the final hour before we hand the keys to this car to Mr. Mark Stafford. Our number is 0800 You can continue to keep your messages coming through to us on double eight double three. That is the temper and bed poster text machine. Uh, of course, the show brought to you by Brant, your local John Deere equipment supplier. Now we're going to supply some fine basketball knowledge. Absolutely delighted to welcome into the show to not only discuss the early uh, stages of the NBA season, but uh, talk about uh, one of the new initiatives of the NBA this season, which is the uh, NBA in-season tournament. This uh, annual new uh, competition involves all 30 sides that uh, started I think about 10 or so days ago, and all wraps up early December with the championship, I think Saturday 9th of December to be exact, uh, to uh, decode this and talk about all the big issues. Uh, we are thrilled to welcome back to SENZ, a man who knows all about this competition. Benyam Kadani joins us, uh, NBA Australian Senior Editor. Welcome to the show. How you doing? Going well, thanks, mate. Thanks for having us. Yeah, living the dream, living the dream, having the time of your life. Like Christmas comes early for you, two months early. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. The uh, the in season tournament, uh, a nice bit of fun uh, early in the uh, in the season. The NBA season's off to a off to a great start. Well, tell me about the in uh, season tournament because you know there's a lot of hardened NBA fans who know this, are probably eye rolling at me now, going, "We don't, we know." But there's a lot of fans who are sort of dipping in and out of the sport who might have not caught up with it and might flick on the television set and see these courts uh, adorned with what I would say sensory assaulting court designs. Uh, but that's all part of it. Yeah, absolutely, mate. There's uh, there's no chance you'll miss an in-season tournament game. Those courts definitely definitely do stand out, uh, along with the jerseys as well. So it's a, a pretty visually uh, you know impactful thing, the in-season tournament. And the NBA has done... You know, pretty good job in terms of really promoting this tournament, really trying to get it across uh, eyeballs. There is still, you know, a little bit of confusion on how it works, what the games actually mean. Uh, you know, not even just for fans, some of the players as well. You know, we're only you know one or two games in for uh, for a lot of these teams uh, who play these tournament games on uh, on designated tournament nights. So that one day, all the games will just be in season tournament games, but they all do still count towards the regular season 
uh, standings. There's only one extra game uh, potentially for, for two teams who will play in that uh, in that championship. So whilst it's adding a different kind of game to the regular season, uh, it's not actually adding any additional games uh, for a lot of these teams. It just kind of changes the impact of, uh, of some of these regular season games and gives other teams you know, who aren't necessarily maybe fighting for the uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy. You know, something else to maybe try and take home with them this season. Yeah, well, just elaborate on that, because this product, the NBA, is globally so successful. It, it, ha- it, ha- it is working, and it continues to work, continues to grow. So why do you think the NBA felt it was really important to, you know, a- add a whole new dimension to the regular season? Well, I think, you know, the, the regular season in recent years, you know, has come under some criticism for maybe being too long and, you know, maybe the games you know, haven't seemed to matter as much as as teams kind of really try and focus on ramping up towards uh, towards the playoffs. And, and, you know, it is a long season. Uh, it does sort of have its have its ups and downs. So I think this is just a way of, you know, maybe keeping fans engaged in, in, in a different element uh, of the game. We see, you know, the focus the NBA has kind of taken uh, has been, you know, what we've seen in European football with the Champions League, the FA Cup, uh, and also, you know, in Spain they have the... Uh, uh, the Copa del Rey as well. So trying to take those those elements, I think, you know, from European uh, football and uh, and basketball and trying to bring that uh, to the US, you know, potentially for growth down the track. Who knows what this tournament could look like, whether it one day does involve international teams. Um, but I think, you know, for them, it's it, it, it's about, you know, giving the fans something else to, to kind of look forward to this season. Uh, and, and also just for the players, you know, there is a prize pool, a bit of extra money on the line as well. And, you know, I, I like this for maybe not necessarily the better teams, I think there's going to be some of these younger teams that might, you know, really try and get their hands on this uh, on this trophy because I spoke to the Warriors coach, Steve Kerr, uh, before the tournament tipped off and, you know, he kind of saw the benefits of, you know, maybe getting into some some late season reps, some some tight situations that will come in handy down down the line in the postseason uh, when you do have to play those, uh, those highly contested, you know, playoff games, getting those kind of rotations and repetitions in early in the season you know, could, could ultimately pay off for some of these teams as well. So you're telling me as a long-time Bulls fan, I've actually got something to look forward to this season other than the trade deadline. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you, you generally break the season up you know, between the tip-off, Christmas Day, uh, the trade deadline, All-Star Weekend, and then then the playoffs. So just adding something in a little bit uh, a little bit earlier in the season, it's a bit of fun. And look, you know, when the playing tournament came in a couple of seasons ago, even you know, I was a little sceptical. I, I, I didn't really know why we were doing yeah. this, what this was for. You fast forward a couple of years, now I think it's one of the best things uh, the NBA has done. The, the back end of the regular season is a whole lot more interesting now. Those last two weeks that you know, were kind of already done and dusted, everyone kind of knew who was, who was going to be in that, uh, you know, those eight seeds in the East and West. Now that's completely up in the air right until the end of the regular season. So I think the skepticism I definitely get you know, for the in-season tournament because it is a little bit of a, what's this all for and what are we doing? But I think once we get into the knockout rounds and we do get that NCAA-style single elimination, Win or go home basketball is always fun. And then we'll get that championship in uh, in Vegas as well. Um, so when you throw in all those factors together, uh, I think this could be a bit of fun this season for the, uh, the in-season tournament. Has it been well-received? I'm less interested in maybe what the players are saying about it, but what about the coaches? Uh, are they fine? Have they embraced it a few bit? Yeah, yeah I mean, to be honest, it, it, it's not really much to embrace just yet because the, the game's aren't necessarily, like, I mean, they count towards the regular season. There's another table uh, that goes into the actual in-season tournament table. So I think it wouldn't really make sense until the knockout rounds start because right now they're just playing regular yeah, season that makes games sense. Yeah. in different jerseys and different courts, you know. It's, it's, so it's kind of ultimately the same thing. 
uh, right now. But I think once those knockout knockout games start, I think that's when we'll really start to see momentum pick up for the uh, for the tournament. All right, without running the risk of getting people to turn off their radio dials, how does the tournament work? Because this we're, this can get a little bit confusing, right? <laughs> Absolutely, but uh, the way it works, you've got all thirty teams uh, randomly selected into into groups of uh, of five. So you'll play four four group games, uh, and then the, the top team from each of those groups uh, they'll all go through to the next round. So th- those six go through, and then the next two best teams uh, on head to head and point differential they'll go through. So it's eight teams will, will go into the knockout rounds, and then it's just single elimination. And so it's it's you you win, you through to the next round, you lose, you're out. And then the, the final four will converge uh, in Las Vegas, I think between seven, seven and nine uh, for the champion semifinals and, uh, and championship. So those two teams that do advance to the championship game, that'll be one extra uh, regular season game. I think the prize pool of money is, uh, I think it's about $18 million. So works out to be an extra you know, $500,000 for each, um, each player. So there is a little something uh, to compete for. Um, and then ultimately, you know, you get the, uh, the honor of adding, uh, adding that uh, little bit of history of being the first in-season tournament winners. So I'm, uh, I'm excited for that, uh, that, that final four specifically in, uh, in Vegas. I think, I think that's going to be a real spectacle. Oh, we're going to have to get into our vernacular, uh, you know, a cup run team. Or oh, they're, they're a good cup side. They're a good cup yeah. side. What, what, would make, what would make a good cup side in, in basketball? What, someone who has the most erratic um, individual on the planet who can be hotter than, you know, the sun on one particular day, but often, you know, dishes up some uh, turgid performances on others. And if so, who fits that bill? To be honest, that's exactly what it, what it might come down to. You get one team that gets hot one day, and, and, that, and that's the great thing about the NBA is any team can beat any team on, uh, on any given night. And once you, once you raise the stakes, these guys are competitive. Uh, so no matter what's on the line, uh, they're going to want to go out there and, uh, and compete. But I do like uh, you know, these younger teams that are trying to make their way towards that kind of next level, whether it's the Sacramento Kings, the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, or the Dallas Mavericks. Those are the kind of teams that I think could, uh, could really try and take this seriously. Uh, you know, maybe for the older teams, teams like the Warriors, you know, the Lakers, are, are they really going to see as much value in it? I still think they will because ultimately all of the games leading up to that championship are still regular season games that they still need to win. Uh, so I think the competition element uh, is definitely going to be there and ultimately just pride as well. Like if there's something on the line, you, you want to win that thing. Um, but I think, you know, these other teams that haven't necessarily made that leap just yet, maybe want to you know, step into the spotlight a little bit. You know, guys like Anthony Edwards, De'Aaron Fox, who are really sort of up-and-coming players. I think they'll, they'll maybe take this a little more seriously uh, than some of, the, some of the more established teams. But all you got to do is get uh, right. one game, one or two games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, Chicago. Right, I'm going to win something. I'm excited. Uh, let, let, you know, allow me to talk about the season and broad brushstrokes overall. Uh, out west, the Nuggets, we all know, are pretty darn good, aren't they? Uh they're 8-1, they lead there. Over on the east, uh, the 76ers. Let's start with them. They're 7-1, they're leading uh, all comers um, after having traded James Harden. It's almost like having James Harden on your rosters, uh, not on your rosters, is a good idea. A little bit of addition by subtraction uh, for the 76ers. They're rolling right now, seven games uh, in a row. And look, losing James Harden, you know, still one of the best offensive players in the league, but that allowed Tyrese Maxey to really step into the spotlight. This is, this is a guy that's been getting better and better uh, every season. Now the ball's in his hands. He's not just entrusted to score. He's now a playmaker for this team. And all of a sudden, that two-man game with him and Joel Embiid looks like one of the most damaging duos uh, in the NBA. The Sixers team has a lot of role players that came over in that, uh, in that Harden trade, guys. They can just sort of fill in, fill in those 3 and D spots and let their two guys now really kind of take this team uh, to the next level. And you've got a young guy like Maxey 
who I think, you know, is, is potentially going to be an all-star this season. I, I think he's the most improved player because uh, he already was playing a lot last season. But I, I really like the 76ers team from that standpoint that they've just kind of kept things rolling. They they kind of had their, their core guy in, uh, in Joel Embiid as the, as the reigning MVP. Now you have this young guy, Maxi, who's, who's kind of taken this opportunity with both hands. They kind of look like a, you know, a, sneaky, uh, a sneaky option out there in the Eastern Conference when everyone was talking about the Celtics and the Bucks, uh, you know, myself included, in the preseason. But uh, Philadelphia is looking as good as any team right now. It's still so early. But is there a side, say, in the East um, that it's not too early to be worried about? Oh, uh, that's uh, that's a tough one. I mean, out of out of the contending teams, I think really it's the Miami Heat that we're maybe worried about. They're still sitting, you know, fourth in the East at uh, at five and four. They they started the season a little slow, but reeled off uh, reeled off four straight wins there. I, I still think they'll be there come the uh, the business end of the season. That's that's just what the Miami Heat do. Um, but in terms of teams you should be worried about, I think the bottom bottom third of that uh, that Eastern Conference is is pretty much locked in. I mean, you you look at the standings now; it doesn't look too too dissimilar outside of maybe the Milwaukee Bucks going on um going on a, a bit of a run uh you know they've lost two in a row as well but I, I like Philly I like Boston I like uh, Milwaukee and there's some surprise teams as well teams like the Indiana Pacers are doing well the Orlando Magic you know who have you know really struggled uh, over the last few years they look uh they look really good but if there's a team that I'm worried about it's probably the New York Knicks because they kind of flow in and out of you know, is this a good team are they a bad team are they a playoff team are they not uh, and right now they're probably looking uh, a little bit more like the latter. Uh, but yeah, they're probably the two teams I'm 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 not as sold on would be uh, would be the Knicks um, and uh, and the and the Atlanta Hawks as well. I'm I'm not really too sure where they're where they're going to sit this season. Right. So conversely, if we're ask, you know, it's way too early to get high on a certain side. Um, it, we, we might even have a little bit of crossover. You might mention the same teams. Yeah, and that's that's the beauty of things, right? It's yeah, there's uh there's there's kind of that core four teams that I, I think are nailed on in the uh, in the Eastern Conference, and, and it's pretty wide open to be honest. From from sort of five through eight, I think there's uh there's there's a few teams that might uh, might sneak in uh, and surprise. And you can say the same about the Western Conference as well. The Nuggets, uh, you know, they're off to a fantastic start. They look as good, if not uh, even better than they did uh, last season, but. Teams like the Minnesota Timberwolves, they, they look terrific this season. As I mentioned, Anthony Edwards, uh, he's been fantastic to start this season uh, as well. The Lakers, are we worried about them? Probably. I mean, I, I kind of thought on paper this might be the year that they could maybe stay healthy and, uh, and get it together. But, you know, they, 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 they came off a four-game losing streak themselves. And outside of LeBron James, who still somehow is the best player on this team, uh, I haven't really yeah. seen a whole lot from them so far to start this season. He's still doing it in year 21, which is uh, incredible, but I'm not sure if that's a reliable strategy for them. Oh, no, the guy turns 39 just after Christmas. It, it's just extraordinary. And it just makes you think, how, like, like, if you could convince him to play play for, like, in perpetuity, like, I know he's going to eventually retire. He, he's got a whole lot of money to go spend. But you wonder, you wonder, like, how effective he could be you know, in his late forties, I reckon still, you know, could still play quite a role in an NBA team. It's crazy. We keep waiting for him to slow down, and uh, if he hasn't slowed down at thirty-eight, then this might just be it for uh, for the next few years. He he genuinely looks like he could play at this level for a few more years, uh, uh, which is which is ridiculous to think about, and the and the records he'll um, he'll probably break. But um, I'm 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 just enjoying watching him continue to do his thing, uh, even at this uh, this advanced age. The minutes. He's put on his body, the miles he's put on his body. It's uh, it's pretty impressive to watch. And 
And we just haven't seen this before. We haven't seen a player uh, of his stature at his age still producing at this level. It's, uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, and I've got to ask about um, Inspector Gadget, uh, Victor Wimbanyama, with arms and legs just everywhere. Just just a, a physical specimen. I, I can't take my eyes off him. Like He's so unusual, but he what, is hitting all the hype because the hype was like seriously um, stratospheric. Yeah. Speaking of things we've never seen before, we've never seen this before. This guy is something else. The potential uh, the Spurs have with uh, with Wembenyama um, is is pretty incredible. Like any young player, there is always ups and downs. We, we saw him go for thirty eight, uh, you know, just a week ago, and and then you know you mix it in, you know, with some some more subdued performances. But he he's still figuring things out uh, at this at this level. But you know, it's only been a couple of weeks into the season. We've already seen you know what kind of scary potential this guy possesses. On both ends of the floor, he already looks like an A-plus defender uh, just with his size and mobility. And then offensively, I mean, we haven't seen a guy at seven foot four, five be able to handle the ball, get out in transition and and, and just dominate like that. But I, I think it's going to be scary. This rookie of the year race uh, with him and Chet Holmgren, who we also shouldn't sleep on on the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, all the hype has kind of gone to Wembenyama, but uh, but Chet Holmgren, the number two pick from last season, he's he's kind of going bar for bar with, uh, with Wemby this season. Oh yeah, but seriously, seven four, right? Seven four, and can seven, handle four, the ball yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't know who seven, said four it. It's would like, be like it's, a ballerina. Yeah, it's like you know when you when you invent a player on NBA, you know, PlayStation to play point and make him seven foot four. Like you're kind of joking. You're having a laugh at yourself, right? But we're <laughs> but we're now living in this fantasy. We're now living in that world. Yeah, this is really the epitome of the uh, of the modern NBA. We've seen the big men continue to increase the skill set year on year, step out behind the three-point line. And when you get a guy at that size that can comfortably handle the ball, bring the bring the ball up the floor, and there's not really anything he can't do, that that's kind of crazy. But uh, again, he is only 19, 20 years old. The, the expectations for this kid were through the roof coming into this season. But you know, I think San Antonio, they're, they're not going to just try and run him into the ground in, in his rookie season. I think they'll be pretty careful about managing his output and uh, the impact on his body as well. But you know, so far, you know, through the first couple of weeks of this season, um, the potential for this kid looks as good as advertised. It's going to be a fun ride for this Spurs team, who now all of a sudden, uh, you know, guaranteed league pass attention. You've got to watch this guy play every uh, every game. Benyam, thanks so much, mate. Appreciate the time, the knowledge. Enjoy it. We'll catch up with you soon. Thanks for having me, mate. My pleasure, Binyam Kadani, joining us there, the NBA Australian senior editor, uh, right across not only uh, the new addition to the season, which is the, the preseason tour, sorry, preseason, in-season tournament. Um, a, a, a nice addition. Uh, we'll see if it captures the imagination. Those courts, though, Logan, I don't know what I was watching the other day, <laughs> but I had to turn over. Yeah. I had to turn over, mate. I actually, I found it so distracting, and maybe over a period of time I will get used to it, but it was like, where's the ball? I can't see it. Where's the ball? And this old man was like, no, shake, waving my hand in a cloud. I'm changing channel. You almost sound like uh, every person who's never really watched a game of NHL and then tries and says, where's the puck? I can't follow it. And then they, they say, Oh, that's easy. Yeah. Well, I think so well, too. But hey. Except for when they used to put the, remember they used to try to put that little, was it orange around the puck? Oh, the little fox and the hope tracker. Of, yeah. Yeah. To trying to make it easier for, I found that distracting. It's like, <laughs> come on, just watch the game. Understand 
Oh, God bless the 90s, eh? Uh, I, I know, man, and I'm the same, and I do. I have to give a, a shout-out to my wife, Sarah, here, who actually, it's her birthday today, so happy birthday, oh. Sarah. She was watching the game with me, and she was asking about the in-season tournament, and I said, yeah, it's a bit like the FA Cup, and she said, oh, so are other teams playing NBA teams? I said, yeah, so it's not like the yeah. FA Cup at all. She was like, oh, a college team's playing. That's cool. I was like, nah, wouldn't that be cool, though? If you actually no. had, I, I know we get NBL teams playing uh, against NBA teams, but imagine if you did have some of the best clubs going up against um, the NBA teams, how that might go if that was actually a different thing. Like, wait, could you imagine if it was like the FA Cup where, you know, like you get some sort of Tuesday night club out of Idaho, <laughs> you know, five, you know. Some high school team. Fat, <laughs> fat, stinky Americans <laughs> trying to take on an NBA team. It would just be carnage. Yeah, there might be some... Uh, I guess that's probably the other thing. Uh, in, in the land of lawsuits, you know, they probably have to sign a few waivers uh, if you're going to have some you know, guy who plays down at the YMCA on a Friday night going up against you know, Winbin Yama or you know, Kevin Durant or anyone like that. They might be hitting a brick wall every time they turn around. Yeah, and I, I do understand, before football fans get on me, I do understand the English Premier League the teams don't start in round number one of the FA Cup. They come in a little bit later. So you could you could whittle down the um, Idaho team um, before they get to that stage. I get that. Um, but it is uh, novel for sure and interesting, and if not, uh, assaulting to my senses with some of the choices of the, the floors. Uh, 23 minutes after 11 o'clock. Uh, still plenty to come before we shoot off at midday, and Staffy takes over. We've got the player of sports desk, which is not too far away. A few checks have backed up. Uh, keep them coming through. Double eight, double three. We'll get to those uh, before the player of sports desk uh, after the short break. Uh, rolling in. Um, couple on this uh, silliness about uh, drafting a team in Super Rugby. Who would you start with now that Artie Savier clearly number one? In every if you, if you don't have Artie number one, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Uh, this Hurricanes fan would say. Uh, who would you pick otherwise? Um, I would pick Will Jordan first. So dangerous. Best fullback in the world. He's a pretty good fullback. Doesn't play much fullback, though, does he? For the All Blacks. <clears throat> pretty good right winger. Um, don't want to poke the bear on that. Uh, Scott Barrett, he's the best Barrett to ever play. Does all the dirty work, unlike the other two. It's a bit harsh of Smiley to text the show. Um, pulls out notes. Checks if Scott's won a Rugby World Cup. No. Checks if he's been named two-time Rugby Player of the Year. No. 2016-2017. Checks notes. He was still playing for the Hurricanes in those years. So I have to defend uh, Bowden. Not the 2023 version, of course. Just when he was playing for the Canes. Um, Canterbury's Kerry Mountcastle also won the Gippsland Super 6 event on the PGA of Australasia Tour. Thank you very much, Matt. Was unaware of that. I am now. And I believe you get three minutes to look for your ball, so Cam definitely has a point. So obviously you are referring to um, the guy looking for his ball in a tree, pulling out a dead tree taking about 10 minutes. Um, and Luke then adds, rather pithily and fantastically, I would add, Shakib Al-Hassan wouldn't stand for that. Cheers, Luke. No, he wouldn't have t- He would have timed you out. Logan's giving me a look like, what? What are you talking about there? Shakib, mate. Shakib? Timed out? You would have heard that story? Timed out? The Cricket World Cup? The player was timed out? I know what you're talking about. I'm just, it was my yeah, thinking well, he, face. He, yeah, he, he, he was the captain. 
he was the captain and he appealed and um it's calling quite, it's causing caused quite a fallout alan donald the bowling coach of bangladesh says no no i'm not on for that i think he got a, a breach notice from bangladesh cricket saying oh no you can't question our team while you're working for our team and now alan donald i think is finishing up early as a bowling coach for bangladesh and I know Grant Elliott was very angry with me uh, during our, our first annual Saturday session one-day cricket draft. where We drafted a team. I had the first pick after winning the lottery. I went with Jasper Boomerah. He wasn't happy with that. Uh, he wasn't happy with the fact that I ended up picking about five Indian players. But I don't think he was most happy with the fact that I chose Shakib Al-Hassan in my team and as captain, uh, basically for his ability um, for shithousery. Um, and the amount of eyeballs um, and headlines my team would grab because that's what I'm all about. Click slogan, you'd appreciate that, running our, our socials. I, see, you'd love my team. You'd love my team more than Grant's team, wouldn't you? Because there's more controversy, there's more headlines, mate. There's more headlines in my team. Listen to his boring goody two shoes uh, team that he picked. What makes Here you, we go. What Look, makes you think? Bucker Zaman, Quinton DeCock, <laughs> Kane Williamson, Virat Kohli, Daryl Mitchell, Glenn Maxwell, Ravi Jadeja, Rashid Khan, Kagiso Rabada, uh, Shaheen Shah, Freddie Muhammad Shami. All too nice. Mine, Rohit Sharma, Shubhan Gill, Babar Azam, Klaasen from South Africa, Rachin Ravindra, that Indian player. Yeah, they've claimed him. Uh, Shakib Al Hassan, captain. Uh, Joss Butler, Kuldeep Yadav, Mohamed Siraj, Jasper Boomerah, and Trent Bolt. What makes you think, uh, just because I, I, I run uh, things online, that uh, I'm some kind of clickbait merchant? I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> I'm saying it to get a rise out of you. Well, that I, have, to have worked. I have. You're very good at that. You did it in France as well. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to it. Look at the joy he uh, gets out of that. Uh, I did get those team lists, uh, actually, from your draft, and I wanted to dive a bit deeper into it uh, on Wednesday's show because I thought it might be a little fun okay. topic oh, to, to get into on the semifinals. I did find it interesting, though, you being a proud Wellingtonian man that you are, there is one player from your list that you missed. Was Devin Conway? Was there was there a rule with with your draft that you guys couldn't pick? Could you only pick one player each, or could you go for the same player? No, no, we had a lottery, so I won the lottery. I got to go first. So okay. I had the first, but then Grant had two. Then I would have two, like that. Um, I actually I chose Rutchen because I said halfway through the draft, I'm I have to get a Wellingtonian in this team. There mm. has to be some sort of Wellington bias. And I told Grant there was two <laughs> options, um, and then Grant had an opening batsman to pick eleventh, and he he didn't he didn't pick Devin Conway, and I said, well, Devin's never going to appear on our show ever again, is he? <laughs> Absolutely well, dropped the ball there. Uh, but I'm already regretting half of my picks. Yeah, I've got I, the I gotta say, tail. I do, I've got a very long tail. I do like Grant's side. <laughs> um, how did you feel about him picking Glenn Maxwell? Well, good for him. You know, he's good in every 15 games. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah, so I think that's going to be a fun one to sort of lead more into the semi-final. Uh, My but- team's so much better, though. Like, seriously. <laughs> like, so much better. That bowling attack. No one's getting runs against that bowling attack. So good. Oh, we must move off on this. Because I, I, I think, do we, do we have to go to the player of sports desk? Yes, Is that we, what we're doing? Yes, we shall. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts, and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 
Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Oh, the Saturday session does provide a lot of fun though. McCarty and uh, Grant Elliott there, uh, 10 to 1 on SCNZ Saturdays. But yes, time for the sports desk with Polaris. The special offers are on now at your local Polaris dealer. We've been talking about a lot of golf on the show today, uh, McCarty. There's a bit of interesting um, golf stuff happening this week as well. Netflix are going to be doing their own golf tournament. It's the first time that they're getting into live sports broadcasting, which I'm very, very intrigued by to sort of see if this could be the future of, you know, things to come. It is the Netflix, so, it is the Netflix yeah, tell, Cup tell uh, and it is golf meets Formula One, and I thought maybe this might be some golf cart action. We'll see them tearing up and down the golf path, the golf cart path. So you've got uh, players that feature on the PGA Tour that were on uh, full swing, and then you have drivers from Formula One that feature in Drive to Survive, and they have announced the pairings. I just want someone who wow, so what step they... on the gas and when to hit the brakes. I think I'd be a great partner because I'm not afraid of rough patches. I'm looking for that hole-in-one kind of love. I'm looking for someone who can take the wheel. These professional golfers were looking for something outside the box. To find their perfect match, they need to venture beyond the greens. I'm ruthless on the track, but I'm romantic on the green. If you like things a little spicy, you know I could be your chili pepper. Forget my DRS. The only thing activated right now is my heart. You're taking your fast as your speeds. I got you covered. Next week, professional golfers and Formula One drivers find their perfect match on the green. Competing for the Netflix Cup are Max Homa with Alex Albin, Ricky Fowler with Lando Norris, Colin Murakawa with Pierre Gasly, and Justin Thomas with Carlos Sainz. Tune in live from Las Vegas, November 14th at 3 p.m. Pacific time to see which pair goes the distance. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. See you in Vegas. Yeah, unless you're broadcasting it to the world, guys. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it doesn't really stay in Vegas if, if you're broadcasting <laughs> it to the world. The voice of God in that ad. This never... summer. This summer. Uh, I have so many questions. Firstly, I was thinking, what are they going to do? Get Formula One cars um, <laughs> and they're going to drive around the golf course? And it's going to be like a speed golf in Formula One cars with golf. Yeah, that's now it sounds like there's some sort of they're trying to get them drunk and mates. It sounds like some sort of <laughs> Love Island dystopian nightmare. I'm looking for that hole in one kind of love. I know it did have that yeah. kind of that reality TV cheese to it. Didn't yeah. It? This so this is the format. Each of the four teams uh, will play eight holes of match play with some surprise challenges along the way. Not sure what they will be, but they are surprises, of course. Following the conclusion of, driving. Of, the, of the match play, the top team from each foursome will compete in a playoff hole to crown a winner. Each match will be a scramble with each player teeing off on each hole. Once they've selected one of their drivers, both players will then hit from that spot and repeat until they finish out each hole. The team with the lowest score will win the hole, so no mention of um, hooning around on golf carts, which is a little disappointing, because I thought speed golf... It is! Yeah, I thought speed golf might be the play there too. Maybe that's one of the challenges, that you have to hit fairway shots while moving on the golf cart. (laughs) Who knows? Uh, So that will get underway on Wednesday. So it's a pro-am. Basically, essentially, yes, it's a, it's a very souped-up pro-am. Uh, there's going to be some some guest uh, hosts as well. Joel Darman, he's not playing on it. 
oddly, I don't know why, but he was like the star of Full Swing. Uh, he's going to be one of the hosts uh, along with Kay Adams, uh, Bert Crusher, the comedian, and of course, legendary NFL running back who isn't afraid to say a thing or two, Marshawn Lynch. Uh, so we'll see how that goes as the hosting team. And it all gets underway midday on Wednesday for us. So that'll be my afternoon after this show, McCarty. Looking forward to that one. Uh, but shifting away from golf, I want to go to women's football and a uh, bit, of, bit of sad news here. And this is such a sad, sad way for Megan Rapinoe's professional career to come to an end. The fans had shown up in their numbers to celebrate a national heroine, a woman who has done so much, not just for the women's game, but for the game of football in the United States and for so many more causes beyond. And the appreciation of that player will continue for many years to come. Yes, Megan Rapinoe's professional footballing career, as trailblazing as it is, has ended in heartbreaking fashion in the uh, NSWL final. She went down in the opening few minutes there with an apparent torn right Achilles tendon. That would hurt. Uh, her O-Rain was going up against Gotham FC. Uh, Ali Krieger also was finishing up her uh, professional career in the same in the same uh, match. O-Rain, 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 I've always been wondering where they're from. They're actually from Seattle. Uh lost 2-1 there so yeah kind of sad to see a legend bow out that way it is but very few people get to go on a high I constantly say this in sport Mm. Um, and and this is an example of uh, a team over individual probably the way she's looking at it but what an incredible servant you know like uh, she's been playing for the US since Nelly Furtado was still relevant in the music scene in 2006 Uh, 2006 she made a debut over 200 internationals extraordinary career um, well done, well done, and it wouldn't and it wouldn't be a, a sports desk on a Monday morning, uh, McCarty, if I didn't mention some uh, American sport and there was some juicy stuff coming out of the uh, NHL this morning, where the Edmonton Oilers have fired coach Jay Woodcroft, naming Chris Knobloch as the interim replacement, who has previously been the uh, junior coach for Connor McDavid, their star player, back when he played in the uh, Ontario Hockey League for the Erie Otters. So it has been a dismal start to the season for the Oilers, one of the supposed hot favourites to win the Stanley Cup this year. They've lost 10 of their first 13 games this season. They just look incredibly out of place, just... McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they're meant to be this lethal one-two combination. They are just, there's no confidence there. They've spoken about that as well. They're in the locker room. Things just aren't good. And when players say stuff like that, that is definitely a worrying sign. So they've they've made a move there. Hall of Famer Paul Coffey is also joining his staff as an assistant. So be interesting to see uh, if that can help turn things around because McCarty to bring things back to when you're talking about the EPL earlier and how there's a five-way potential title race there, according to The Athletic. It's often said that in the NHL, when it comes to American Thanksgiving, the standings there are pretty much almost what they're going to look like by the end of the season, and American Thanksgiving is 10 days away. Yeah, I, I was using that... Um, yeah, Edmonton has struggled to, to keep out goals, too, even though I think 51 goals conceded, um, almost as many as our Leafs have conceded, uh, just uh, uh, out of interest. Uh, Stop talking about that. Watch. 
Uh, he says that, um, not believing a single word of it. My, my point about the English Premier League was more of a question to our listeners. Um, the Athletic has this really interesting piece where they've, where they've um, studied every single year in the English Premier League, and basically they say that the, the ladder doesn't change much from round 10 onwards. We're now into round number 12. In fact, they said, research has found that 77% of statistical variance in the final league standings was explained by match day 10. By match day 20, that rose to 87%. By match day 30, it was 94%. In other words, taking those complicated stats words out, uh, looking at the league table as early as now, early November, does give a decent indication towards the final. Um, standings, and, and I did wonder, there are five teams separated by not that many points, right? Including Aston Villa, who had them? Um, Dare to Dream is how um, oh, Ange Postacoglu described it after the win against Crystal Palace. Why not Dare to Dream, Spurs <laughs> fans? Well, what has happened since? They've lost two games, but even that, still just two points behind. So three points separates the top five. So my question is, do we have a five-horse title race? The stats tell us we might. Uh, be interesting um, to see what plays out, but it's great for the competition. Have you got one last thing? Yeah, I was just, just saying, I mean, from golf to women's football to ice hockey and back to the English Premier League, you never know what you're going to get on the Polaris Sports Desk. So get a free roof, windscreen, rear panel, and wiper kit, and tow hitch valued at $5,000 on a Polaris Ranger 1000. McCarty. Excellent stuff. Back after the break. You succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Uh, it's 11 minutes away from 12 o'clock. Uh, the Flight Centre's big red sale is on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours. Book now to save big. It is the Flight Centre big red sale. Get amongst it. Um, here is Logan, who can update us on the poll of the day as he continues to give me that look. <laughs> what? what look? No, the poll is closed. The poll is closed both on Twitter and uh, on the SCNZ app. On Twitter, India uh, come out with 21.4%. South Africa just 29 Australia 15.7%. New Zealand a whopping 60%. And what is this for? It is who wins the Cricket World Cup with the semi-finalists locked in. And, of course, SCNZ and SCN are going to have live commentary of those games. How freaking good is that? And on the app... Not much different. 27% India, no votes for South Africa. Ouch. Australia, 13%. New Zealand, also 60%. So it's almost like we're broadcasting out of New Zealand. Yeah, staggering response. It's almost like home bias is a thing in sport. It's okay. It's, uh, it's you got to believe. you got to believe and show your love behind the black hats, though. Dare, dare to dream. Dare to dream, as I said back in 2015. Uh, didn't they just? Excellent stuff. Uh, thank you very much. Earlier today, it was Carl who said, Hi, guys. It looks like the Punters Club did very well on the weekend. Do you know what the total they're up to? Come on down, Brian. Yes, yes, I do know the total, mate. What a great weekend. Every bet the boys laid was a winner. Only one leg of one multi didn't come through. It was a three-leg multi. It was two any two, so we still got the bag then. Um Boys on the day spent $8,900 across the day uh, on Saturday. 
returned 27,762 day one of Cup Week Punters Club. Currently right now, $92,000 plus sitting in our Punters Club kitty for the rest of New Zealand Cup Week. Uh, looking forward to the show tomorrow. There will be no afternoons. There will be no run home. The good oil are taking over. Louis is at an OB at Addington Raceway and... Mick is gonna mailman Mick is gonna give us a few bets to put on and I don't think he's I don't think he bets anything lower than ten K. So it's gonna be another big day. Listen and I just I can't wait, mate. I can't wait. Fist. You are fist. You are fist. Excellent stuff. Um yeah, that's a great start. Uh yeah, huge day tomorrow and we'll be right across it here on SCNZ. I think it's time to take a break. On the other side I'll give you an update of what's happening with uh, Steve Alka and then uh, Staffy.